So welcome in to episode 008. Uh, I got my buddy Taryn here. Um, been friends for like seven years. Uh, also another fraternity brother showing up, showing some love, support. Uh, just found out that he's listening to like every episode, so I'm pretty excited. Love the support. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming in. Absolutely, Cameron. I really appreciate you having me here. Uh, so I guess I give myself a little introduction before we run into any topics. Uh, again, my name is Taryn Davis, uh, 26 years old, and like Cameron said, we've known each other for about seven years now, um, and it's it's kind of an interesting story on how we met, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that in a little bit, but uh, born and raised in Wilson, Ohio, uh, so small town nobody's ever heard of. It's great because a um, uh, funny little topic is when I uh, first met Cameron and Shay, we're all pretty close to the same area where we grew up. Um, and actually, uh, the, the funny thing about that is, is, uh, Shay from zero zero six, uh, played football against me in high school. So we knew each other without knowing each other before we even met in college. But, uh, we'll start off with talking about, you know, where I, where I come from and then where, where I am now. Um, and to start that topic, I was born, uh, to a single parent back in 1995. Uh, My mother has done an excellent job in raising me. Uh, I can't thank her enough for everything that she's kind of taught me uh, and still teaches me to this day because we have a really good relationship still. But um, I uh, originally started off living with my grandparents. Uh, Like I said, my mom was a single mother. Uh, She found out she was pregnant with me when she was 19. Uh, so she had me when she was 20. It's a really easy number to remember too, because I'm like, <laughs> all right, how old am I? Okay. Well, she just add 20 and that's how old my mom is. Um, so that's like super, super awesome. And I like, I don't have to like think about it too hard. So whenever she turns a big five L, uh, I'll be able to make fun of her, <laughs> but that means I'll be 30. So I'm, I'm, we're, we're crossing that bridge in a, in a couple of years. It'll be a great celebration. <laughs> I'm not excited. <laughs> well, it'll be a good year for birthdays, but anything other than that, uh, I'm not looking forward to getting any older. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel that, <laughs> but, um, so she, um, she was re- uh, raising me. In my grandparents' house, uh, so my grandparents really hold a, a, a really near and dear place in my heart because they were like a second set of parents. Um, so I've got a lot of old school teaching, uh, kind of grew up the old school way. Um, you know, I know it's significantly different than how kids grow up these days, but, you know, a small town, you know, really close family. So it's it's like a super impeccable way of growing up. And it's very consistent with a lot of the people that I, I grew up with. Um, with a couple, you know, caveats of differences and things like that. But um, I want to kind of talk about where, and I think it was around the age of two, uh, where things kind of changed for me um, in my personal life, uh, especially with family. So my mother, um, she was dating, obviously. Uh, my biological father wasn't really ever in the picture. But uh, she started dating, and she she met a guy named Bruce. And Bruce and his family have been um, a, a, a very close family friend. And, and, and to me, honestly, I, I feel as though they are personally just family um, because they've always, and to this day, um, they've always held, held their hearts out for me. And we've done stuff together. I've been to Christmases with them. Um, uh, Bruce and his parents and, and obviously his wife and kids as well. Uh, they're a few years younger than me. So I kind of was growing up when they were growing up. So it's really unique to see, you know, uh, 
I guess kind of like the newer generation growing up with like a good Christian family that had had their back um, and and still still to this day do and it's really funny to see like um, I'm not gonna not, not gonna name them um, but uh, the older one he is uh, probably as old as my little sister so he's I think a five year or six year difference so he had just graduated high school and uh, he's set to get engaged and like watching all of that unfold because I remember seeing him as a baby, you know, uh, I was like, holy crap, like this is insane. Like life moves so fast, but uh, that's enough about that. So (laughs) um, uh, I still really, I still really feel a lot of love for that family. And uh, we had just recently went out and got lunch together just to kind of catch up. It's been a couple years since uh, I've actually done anything formally with them. So it was really nice to catch up with them. But, uh, you know, obviously my mom and Bruce didn't work out. So kind of moved on to the next person. And that next person is who I call my father uh, or my dad, you know, whoever uh, takes care of you while you're young growing up, whoever creates that special bond with you, I think is actually who your father is. So they don't have to, you know, they don't have to be your actual biological father or your mother in that case, if it's the other way. But uh, my my dad uh, was married to my mom for about seven years, and uh, ultimately that's who I remember growing up um, as my dad. That's who was always there, you know, Monday through Friday, the weekends, stuff like that, and uh, you know, a lot of special you know memories from from that period in time. And uh, something that I want to uh, talk about in a little bit as well is is kind of how uh, he helped get me on the right track after college and things like that. But uh, he, uh, him and my mom ended up ultimately getting a divorce, um, I think back in 2003. So it's, it's been almost 20 years now. But um, obviously they still have a relationship with, uh, with my brothers. My, my, well, I should just say my siblings, but my brother and, brothers and sister and uh, myself, of course. But uh, that's kind of uh, where we fall into my preteen slash high school years. And... Let me just start off by saying I was not a very good child. Um, <laughs> you, you grew up in the same area, right? You didn't move around. No, no. So I've yeah. always been in Wellston, and I stayed in Wellston until after I graduated high school. Yeah. So um, I always had the small town mentality. I mean, it was a town of like 5,000 people. Uh, and, and jokingly, uh, when I met Cam and... <laughs> And Shay, uh, they <laughs> thought I was from Benton County because I am relatively close to Benton County, but I live in I lived in Jackson County. It's a joke so, of uh, Southern Ohio. Just Benton County is just trashy. It is not a good area. <laughs> it's it's rough, and, and and it's like any rural like country town in Ohio. I mean, poverty is a pretty big thing down there, and it just it's a, it's a little bit harder harder way to go uh, with living life and and growing up and yeah. Um, it can it can make and break you as a person, um, and and luckily I got away from that area, and you know I kind of uh, made something of myself, and then obviously, you know the 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 added benefit of that is like I can always go back and and look and see you know how classmates are doing or how family's doing, and I not not necessarily compare myself, but just see like what the differences are, like you know if I was still down in that area, how much would have changed. Um, yeah with see me. the evolution yeah with me personally you know and in in my career and just all kinds of different things that that would be completely different if if i didn't ever get out of that area so it's kind of like one of those things where you're like oh man like i i was one of the lucky ones yeah um, 
you know, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way because you also grew up in a, in a small town in rural Ohio. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'd say I'm pretty similar to most everyone in the world. Like I don't care to talk to people that I went to high school with. Right. Like that's no. such a rough time in, in your life yeah. that like people say it's the best four years of your life. The bullshit <laughs> bullshit <laughs> listen i would have to I, agree with that statement high school sucked period. i hated it i hate going to my hometown just because i don't want to run into anyone i know because then i have to have that conversation like how you been blah 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 and i just don't want to like if anyone's listening that i grew up with sorry um but yeah like i don't know just growing up in a small town you know everyone anyway that's my rant. <laughs> well, no, it's really funny that you say that because I've had situations where, you know, I'll stop at the gas station or whatever, and someone that I grew up with is also there at the same time, and I've had those awkward conversations that it just seems like surface level, like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in a long time. How you been? Like, do we really care? Does, do, you know, like, you have to ask yourself that. Does the other person actually care? They probably don't. Yeah, it's probably, they probably just because, haven't thought of you. No, and it's probably just because it's like, oh, hey, I saw you. I want to recognize that I've seen you, and then I'm going to move on. Like, listen, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to say anything, please don't. Like, I would prefer you not to. Right. There is a couple cases where, like, I've lost touch with people that I would consider friends, and it is nice seeing them and kind of talking to them, you know, in a little, little more of an extended setting. Like, mm-hmm. If you feel comfortable enough to sit at the gas station and talk to me for five or ten minutes and give me life updates, fine. Absolutely. But, like, if you're just going to ask me that time old question <laughs> of, oh, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm, we, we, can, we can say, hey, recognize each other, just move yeah. on. Yeah. There's – so, real quick, just about me. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a time that I saw some people I went to high school with um, at, like, some big something or other. And we like sat and caught up because we were like close friends in high school and we haven't seen each other in a while. And, um, you know, it ended up being like, hey, I'm going to have a some get together at my house. I'd love to have you come down and hang out like that's cool. Uh, yeah, loved both of those interactions. But if you like bullied me in high school, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I don't care if I see you in the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because. Uh, I could kind of relate to that as well because I was always like the small skinny kid in school and I'm still pretty small. I'm just six foot two now and still <laughs> skinny. So, you know, that's detrimental to my mental health. We won't talk about that right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. And I have the same thoughts and feelings. It's like, man, if you were kind of shitty to me in high school, like we're not friends and we may have acted like friends back then. But honestly, like I've moved on so far in my life that like I just don't have time for you know, I don't have time for you to necessarily like go out of your way to invite me to something that I probably don't have an interest in doing anyway. Right. Like, I feel like in that five to 10 minutes, that short interaction that you potentially have with someone who like, you know, bullied you in high school, you can tell like, oh, you haven't changed or, oh, you have changed. And if you haven't changed, I, that's the last interaction. Once again, I thought graduation was last, but well, we couldn't get that lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if they have changed, they seem like a good person. It could be good to like hang out with them again. Yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. I think that, you know, if, if they've learned and grown as a person and, and kind of want to right their wrongs and, you know, I will absolutely give you the, 
um, the opportunity to, but I'm not going to give it to you in a setting where we're out in public. Like if you want to have that conversation with me, feel free to message me, feel free to, you know, search me on social media. If we're not friends, send me a message, whatever, approach it that way. And then we can have a conversation. But if it's in a public setting at a gas station or wherever we may be like, don't just, don't, <laughs> just don't, it's, yeah. we won't have enough time to talk about what we want to talk about right. and, and the feelings that we had from 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Like let's, let's say, Hey, hi, how you doing? Uh, good, great. Uh, love to catch up sometime. Let's grab a drink. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, sometimes and it's funny sometimes that drink never comes. And right. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've told people like, Hey, like, let's go out and grab lunch together or, Hey, let's go out and grab dinner together and radio silence. And you know, it's been five years. <laughs> so it's like, all right, do you really mean that you want to go out and have lunch with me? Or are you just saying that to like, just trying to be nice push that conversation over right you know like hey okay i'm leaving now I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think i think that's enough about that because i could talk about that all night right. but i will say that um you know that that definitely uh holds a holds a pretty big grip on me and how i grew up too is like you know i thought i had friends and i think this is like everybody's life experience um once you leave high school and you leave the area that you grew up in um, my mom always told me, she's like, you know, Hey, you're only going to have like one or two good friends when you leave high school. And I was like, ah, whatever. You know, I always blew it off. Cause I'm like, well, maybe you just didn't connect with them or whatever the case was. No, that's actually factual. Um, I think that I still, well, I know that I still talk to one person that I graduate high school with. Um, and him and I regularly, you know, we'll just go out to the bar or, or meet up and, you know, go do something like, uh, I think recently we just went to Penn's in Easton, um, just as like a hangout, whatever, just catch up. And, um, and I, I kind of feel fortunate for that because, you know, uh, him and I were really good friends, I think starting in like fifth grade and we, I mean, obviously we grew up together. Um, so it was like really, it's really fun to see like where he's at in life. And then like, obviously like on the flip side of that, I think, it, I think he also enjoys seeing where I've come in life as well. So it's always good to have, you know, that, you know, couple, you know, I would say probably, uh, anywhere between two or three good friends that you still communicate with, um, on a, you know, it doesn't even have to be on a daily basis. I think right. you know, Ben and I communicate, you know, uh, once or twice every couple weeks and then, it's like we we've been friends and we've talked you know every day since then because we just kind of built that relationship that right. bond so um it's like it's not weird at all and it's so funny because that's how i realized that he was truly a friend is like we can go you know three months without talking and then pick up a conversation and talk about each other like we didn't miss a beat and right it's like what what <laughs> you like what <laughs> That's that's how you know a real friendship is absolutely like absolutely been created, and you know it's something that I've seen with Cameron as well. Like I don't think uh, we've hung out in probably at least the last six months that I can remember. Um, we hung out in the last time we hung out was in May. May. Yeah. Um, so that's seven S months. Six right? months. Seven months. Six months. Somewhere six around months. there. Wow. So him and I went out to dinner before, you know, shooting this, this episode. And we picked up conversations that I guess I like other people that were not friends couldn't have. Right. 
Um, so that's how you know, and and it just kind of reinforces that uh, that friendship. Absolutely. Um, but anyways, to go back to finishing <laughs> my high school, because I know we're gonna do this quite a few times tonight. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna kind of run with the conversation, which is a yeah. good thing. Uh, I yeah. don't ever want it to be boring for anybody, and I definitely want to be able to um, expand on you know kind of how I grew up. But uh, so <clears throat> I hit high school, and. It was kind of rough for me, um, you know, single parent, mom had just gotten divorced. Um, a really, a really key turning point in my life actually happened in 2003 when uh, my dad divorced my mom. Uh, my aunt was actually killed in a motorcycle accident that same year, uh, a few months prior. And um, it absolutely devastated the family. I mean, it was uh, my, I think, my mom was really, really close to her. Uh, we lived like a block and a half away. No, is this your mom's sister? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, sorry, I guess I should have probably said that. No, that's but, all right. Uh, yeah, so uh, she, uh, so Sandy and my mom were really, really close. I mean, uh, like best friends. You know, outside of being sisters, they were truly best friends. They always hung out, always did stuff together. Um, so seeing that my mom was the youngest of four kids um, lose a sister you know at a fairly young age I mean we're talking what 2003 was uh, just about 18 years ago so subtract that from being 46 and you know that's that's really young to lose somebody that you hold so close to your heart so um, that kind of changed a lot of things uh, for myself, for my siblings, for my mom, for my grandparents, you know, the entire family. And it really kind of opened my eyes. That was my real first experience with death. Um, and it's at a fairly, a fairly young age, but it was, I was just old enough to understand what it meant. So I think that it really affected my outlook on life and death and kind of like I wouldn't say that it like steered me away from taking risks because I, I absolutely take risks um, but it also kind of like made me realize like hey life's short and I want to do the things that I enjoy doing because who knows I may never get that opportunity again to do whatever that that specific thing is and you were what seven or eight years old learning uh, this I type think of lesson Let's see, 03 to 95, I was... Eight years old? Uh, yeah, it would have been eight years. Probably around eight or nine, I think. Actually, it was right before I turned nine. It was in June. My birthday's in July. So, yeah, so <clears throat> that's a that's a pretty young, young age to kind of understand what it right. means. And, you know, obviously, I don't think I had a full grasp um, just because, like, it was my first experience. So, like, I don't... I didn't know how to feel emotionally i didn't know how to feel mentally um but it kind of gave me i guess like uh, the the ground point the foundation of of understanding it truly as life goes on so you know um she sandy sandy was a huge part in the reason why i decided to make some life choices a couple years after high school and we'll get to that. I just want to make sure that, uh, we finish out the high school years cause we're almost done. It's not, there's not <laughs> too much exciting stuff, but, uh, 
that was just a, a really key point that I wanted to talk about because it, it's still, I mean, we're talking 18 years ago. It still is a memory that I think about pretty, pretty often, uh, pretty regularly. And it's kind of not in a, in a bad light. It's just in a, in more of like a, a remembrance and then kind of like a, I just need to reinforce myself every once in a while and say, Hey, you know, this is the reason why I enjoy doing something. It's mm-hmm. because I knew she enjoyed riding motorcycles. I knew she enjoyed living life to the fullest, um, to her ability. And, and that's kind of the way that I, I kind of, uh, have a outlook on life as well. So that was really a huge turning point in my life. So moving forward with that, um, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of a shithead. Um, cause I had, you know, all this emotional pent up feelings of you know sadness but anger because you know why would somebody do that you know it was their fault which you know ultimately it did it was the other driver's fault uh so you know as a as a kid i I gave my mom and and uh my great aunts a hard way to go at a young age because i just i just didn't know how to like deal with it Mm -hmm. um it's hard no absolutely something extremely hard being that young and trying to comprehend yeah so you know my great aunts would babysit for me while my mom was at work because they were retired and i remember coming home from school i think it was right around the time that i was 13 and my great aunt who i think at the time was like in her mid 50s probably at the time um she has some health issues and I triggered one of those health issues because I was angry. I was playing a game and I got upset and I uh, like picked up an oak chair and slammed it on the ground, which, you know, it's pretty, pretty loud noise that it created. And like it, it kind of set her off and she had to leave. And like, I, I just didn't understand like what happened. And then uh, she obviously called my mom and my mom came home from work and like, she kind of whooped my ass and I deserved it. <laughs> and I'm not saying I didn't deserve it, but yeah. you know, I, you also didn't know, did you? No, I didn't. Yeah. But, but it was like, you know, hindsight 2020, exactly. you know, obviously I should have never reacted that way over a video game. And you know, this is early video games. Like this is runescape, like <laughs> on dial of internet. So like the kids these days don't have that struggle. Right. They're like high speed internet playing call of duty or whatever, you know, or Fortnite, And it's like, <laughs> I'm sitting here playing a video game on the computer with dial up internet and I died in the game and I lost stuff and I got upset about it. And that, that, <laughs> that triggered that reaction. So like, I knew that I was like, Oh, well, um, I've got some, I've got some mental issues. <laughs> this is early for that. So angry, um, angry kid, just an angsty preteen going into teenage years. It just, it's it just a bad, it was a bad deal all the way around. But, um, you know, I kind of learned from that, uh, after a couple of times to get my ass whooped as a, as a young, as a young teenager and, uh, and not in a bad way, you know, it was never abusive. Yeah, it was, was going to say like no child. Abuse, yeah, no, though. it was never <laughs> abusive. So we're, we don't have to worry about that. The, I think the, um, the, oh man, I'm trying to think of the word for it. The, uh, circumstances of that have, have been long gone. So. Nobody tried to press charges on my mom. She didn't actually abuse me. <laughs> I just want to make yeah. sure that's clear. No one was abused. Yeah. Just, just a kid De- definitely a kid. deserved to be disciplined. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, uh, 
to moving forward with that, uh, we got into the high school years. And I remember freshman year, and this is what I'm talking about when I say, uh, when I said earlier about getting bullied. I remember freshman year, um, walking in, it was a pretty terrifying moment, um, even in a small school. Like, just you don't know the people that are older than you, really. I mean, you've probably seen them maybe just in the hallways. But I remember, like, the first couple weeks of school, uh, I was trying to uh, unlock my locker. And if anyone remembers the old turnstile, the integrated lock. Oh, I remember those. Where it was, like, super janky and, like, you had to get it perfect and then, like, yep. turn the knob and then hit the little lever to unlock it. Well, I was having issues, and I had uh, I had three or four books in my hands. And I remember, I think it was a junior at the time, came over and slapped all of the books out of my hand. And I just remember feeling so defeated like <laughs> i literally cried i was so upset because i was just i was already having a hard time with the locker i was still new you know to the whole high school phase like did you know this kid i grew up with his younger brother well, so i kinda know. i knew him through very small interactions because we would always like play outside or we would do stuff like outside of the house when, because he was older, he was obviously off doing his own thing. So, like, I really only had maybe hmm, two or three interactions with him outside of like that day. Yeah. So, I don't know if it was like, haha, funny thing that I did this, or if it was like, I know you because you know my little brother, and I'm gonna just, I'm gonna mess with you. But I was so upset. Like, when I, I can't explain this enough. That's how I walked into high school. That's how I thought my entire high school like life was going to be cuz I was small. I was I think at the time I was like 5 foot 4, 100 pounds. I was tiny. <laughs> and this guy, uh, you know, in the eyes of a, a freshman in high school, this guy looked massive. Like, right. you know, he's almost 6 foot tall. He was like 180 pounds. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like what what's next? Am I going to get stuffed in the locker? Is this like <laughs> save is this is this like saving the bell where you just get bullied and like is that real life? <laughs> uh, luckily that never happened, but you know, that, that introduced me to, you know, what I would consider bullying in high school. Um, so I took that as a life lesson and I'm the type of person that gets along with anybody. Um, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter, you know, your ethnicity, your, um, it, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of things that don't matter to me and I enjoy, having conversations with people from all walks of life, um, you know, from being a, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there from being like super religious where, you know, you follow strict religious guidelines to somebody that's been in prison. It just doesn't bother me. Um, and I think that, uh, I kind of, I kind of call myself a social chameleon because I, I can get along with just about anybody, um, with a few exceptions. I mean, you really have to, on the other side, you have to be willing to be open to that communication. But right. uh, I made a lot of friends in high school, um, and I was friends with every group. I mean, I grew up in the era where people were in social groups. You know, you had the popular kids. That was one group. You had, like, the emo kids. That was another group. <laughs> you had, like, the not really popular but not really didn't really fit in with any other groups kind of in the middle. And, like, I talked to everybody. I was friends with everybody. I tried to be friends with literally everybody because I didn't want them to feel like, you know, oh, he's a popular kid. You know, I can't talk to him. 
I, I never had that like Terrence too cool for me. Yeah. I never had yeah. that ideology and I don't understand how people can have that, that thought process. It just doesn't really make sense to me because nobody's better than anybody. Yeah. Um, there's always somebody that's going to have something that you want and they're going to have way more than you want. It's a, you know, and I'll talk in like terms of money, like, okay, sure. You're a millionaire, but somebody's a billionaire. Yeah. The grass is always greener. Always. Right? It always is. Yeah. But, uh, I never really understood that. So I, and I'm not saying that I went out of my way, uh, so to speak, but more so of like, I knew that I wanted to be friends with these people because I didn't want them to feel like they were alone. Um, whether they were trying to fit in with the popular kids or they were in the email group or whatever, like regardless of who you were, I wanted to at least let you know, like you had somebody to lean on. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I'm still the same way. I was that way in college. Like, um, and, and sometimes I would go out of my way to make sure that I said something to somebody like, um, I know there's a particular instance in college that I'll talk about in a couple minutes that really kind of shines a light on that and the kind of person that I am. And I really have my mother to thank for that because she's the same way. She's, you know, she's not judgmental. And I think we all have some somewhat of a judgmental factor in our life, whether it's, you know, super small, you know, there's certain things that kind of really like bug us, but you know, I've also seen the other side where you, you won't talk to a certain person because they have a tattoo or you won't talk to a certain person because they dress a certain way. And I just, I was never like that. And and I'm glad because I've met some of the coolest people that I know that way, because I, I don't have those thoughts or those feelings of like, Oh, this guy looks weird because his hair is slicked back. And I don't like that because <laughs> he looks like a douchebag, but that's not the case. I don't, you know, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But, um, so, you know, I, I really took that in stride in, in high school and, and it really developed me as a person because, you know, I, I played sports. I played sports in, in middle school and in high school. Uh, I took a couple years off. I think my freshman and sophomore year of uh, playing any sports, um, I originally grew up playing baseball and uh, I'm left-handed originally, but I didn't get taught how to write right-handed. So I'm, I'm, I'm technically ambidextrous, but, um, you know, I would pitch, I would pitch left-handed and I would bat left or right-handed. I could switch. Um, so like I thought baseball was really going to be my sport growing up, but I also played football and I played football all the way up until I think it was from my third or fourth grade year up to eighth grade. And then I took freshman and sophomore year off because I was afraid, uh, being the small kid, right it's it's a lot it's a lot different in competition. those juniors and seniors staring down at you oh man they had like <laughs> linemen that were like 280 pounds man i was this little stick a little short stick that was walking around like i don't want to get crushed so uh i was afraid i was i was afraid but i i kind of uh grew out of that my junior year and played again uh junior and senior year and ultimately like i sacrificed my health for football and it's really unfortunate because you know i had a couple injuries a uh, couple concussions uh, one really bad concussion my senior year um, and it actually affected me in school and um, it uh, it really affected like how i treated people and how i reacted to certain situations and um, it was so bad uh, there's a there's a, actually a video out there that one of the parents took of the game and you see where I get hit and it doesn't look like a very hard hit 
but I lowered my head and uh, essentially I have no memory from a couple of plays before that all the way to six months after. Um, there's six, there's like wow. a six month period of time in my life that is a black hole that I, I, I just can't remember anything during. Was this like, like helmet to helmet? Like Yeah, it was helmet to helmet. Contact. Okay. So what position did you play in football? So that was actually during a JV game. So junior varsity game. And I was defensive end or, you know, uh, the equivalent of a tight end for offense, yeah. but I was defensive end. So I had containment. I was, to, I was there to make sure that, you know, nobody got on the outside because I was taller and I was one of the quicker kids on the team. Right. Um, I, you know, I sealed off the edge pretty quickly and I wasn't afraid to hit. And they saw that in varsity games. Like there were dudes significantly larger than me that I would take hits from and still be okay. Like, you know, obviously, I right. got un- I was unfortunately lucky to to lower my head on that play um, against the running back, but um, you know it's it's kind of one of those like lesson learned don't do that again. But, right. Uh, and this was also before they implemented that like newer technology right now. Yeah. The so, newer technology where it it compresses the helmet and mm-hmm. pushes it outwards. Right. Yeah. I think. Uh, I don't know how it works. I'm not an expert. There's but there's that's what I understand. Yeah. So the the pads and the new helmets. Um, it's, it's called MIPS technology. I don't know what it stands for, uh, but if anyone's interested, they can search MIPS. It's M-I-P-S. And um, it's in a lot of like motorcycle helmets and stuff now uh, because they realized having a rigid helmet's great until you, you know, have a force act against it. So you have this giant solid, you know, helmet on your head. Well, your brain still can move within the helmet and in your skull, right. which causes the concussions when, when your you know, your brain bounces off of the, the skull based wall and causes inflammation, uh, sometimes as bad as like, you know, brain bleeds and stuff like that. So right. I got fortunate enough to not have a brain bleed. Uh, but I did have, uh, some, they call ventricle, uh, damage, um, <clears throat> and artifacts against, uh, the, the skull based wall, uh, which, found that out through the MRI after it was the, the next day I went to the hospital and, and got an MRI. My mom took me, but, um, you know, it really affected me. My social skills really failed. Um, I kind of retracted, um, in school, retracted to my social life because it, I, and I don't, I, I can't really even explain like the reasoning why it was just like, it just something like clicked in my head, like whatever, whatever happened, um, it changed me. And at least for that, that next year. Uh, but it was, it was really interesting because, uh, I remember in school, I was always at the level of like collegiate, um, you know, academics. So I was taking some of the stuff to prep for college. Uh, I was in, you know, at the time it was pre-calculus, which I know kids, you know, in the newer age are in calculus by their junior year. But for us, like that was a big step, you know, being right. in pre-calculus and stuff like that. And I was doing fine up until that point. And then um, when that happened, it was in obviously like the fall semester. Um, by the springtime, I had to uh, disengage from that course, withdraw from that course and go to, a, it was called Math 12. It was just a basic um, like algebra course, you know, it wasn't even a, as extrinsic as algebra was, 
but I struggled to maintain grades. I struggled to have like motivation to do schoolwork, struggled to have that social life. And it took, you know, up until I think graduation in May before I finally felt like myself again, uh, which is weird because it's like something so small could have that large of an effect. Yeah, that hit caused the concussion and caused like all of the development that your brain was having during puberty and then it goes just goes backwards yeah it like shut me back or shot me back like three years that's what i felt like that is crazy and you know it wasn't my first one so the first two that i got weren't bad they were you know oh i got a headache you know the bright lights bother my eyes you know just like the normalest you know almost like stereotypical like oh you got a concussion but this one really was the like holy shit what what happened and you know having conversations with my doctor um for my cognitive abilities he was considering sending me to um stroke specialists who work on um you know like fixing any cognitive development issues that you may have after you know a brain trauma like that so uh, you know for anyone that's knows somebody that's been affected by a stroke or whatever you understand like you know hey i saw a, a really big change and my doctor almost sent me through that to help me regain some of the the abilities that i lost during that time wow um, yeah so luckily it didn't have to you know we didn't have to go that far yeah um, and it finally came back but you know i saw a lot of aggression a lot of like unwarranted aggression in that time like i remember having conversations with my mom uh, a couple years after and she was like yeah you were you would just be really mean for no reason and like your reaction would be like way over the top and you know you changed how you talk to people you changed you know you, like socially altogether just changed so you like spill a glass of water on accident you just lose, lose your mind it. yeah but absolutely wow. lose it and you know i never saw that w- you know during the time like i never knew that like i didn't like it this didn't... was like during that like blacked out time yeah. period afterwards yeah. okay so like i didn't know that i was reacting that way like i'm sure uh, you know there was a part of me that understood but i couldn't physically change that at the time because it just mm-hmm. like you know i just didn't have like self-awareness it's, it's almost what it felt like it was almost like i was living in someone else's body with no control yeah you're kind of like on autopilot yeah and it was like terrifying because like I, I would never want to have that feeling i would never want anyone to have that feeling um and i would assume that it was just compounding from the previous concussions that caused the issues yeah but um you know and i'm sure you know there's been studies since then you know for the nfl in particular on head trauma and stuff like that that have kind of shed some light but um it's 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 like what the heck like you know there's guys that do this you know every year for 10 20 years and you see the long-term effects and it's terrifying oh absolutely it's terrifying so like uh football was a really big part of my life and i by the time that senior year rolled around i tried to quit and they didn't want me to quit the the head coach at the time didn't want me to quit he wanted me to stick through it so i did uh but it was uh it was something that i was looking forward to like moving on to college to play college football 
um, which is really the driving factor of why I chose Tiffin. Um, I sent Tiffin some some clips, some huddle clips of myself playing um, varsity and JV. And I remember it was Coach White at the time sent me an email back and said, you know, hey, we've already filled up our scholarship roster for this year, but we would really love for you to come on and be a walk-on um, at Tiffin. Really? I didn't know about this. So, yeah. So um, that and their criminal justice program, uh, I think at the time it was like the number two on the East Coast. I think yeah. the other one was like in Hartford, uh, New York. Some crazy prestigious Super school. Super expensive, like $47,000 a year school. Yeah. Which Tiffin wasn't too far behind, but um, I didn't I didn't really have a desire to, to move out of state for school and, and be that separated away from family. Um, I mean, Tiffin still, you know, it was like a three and a half hour drive away from home. So like on the weekend or whatever, if I wanted to, you know, visit, I could drive down and spend the whole weekend. But um, yeah, so football was really the driver for Tiffin. And it kind of excited me uh, to like move to the next step. But, um, you know, as I had conversations with, you know, a doctor, he was like, I'm going to advise you not to do it. And um, if anyone knows anything about collegiate sports, you have to go through the uh, clearinghouse. And um, he told me that he wouldn't clear me as, you know, my family doctor through the clearinghouse because um, they, they, they check for, you know, previous medical issues and stuff like that because they don't, you know, they don't want anyone to, you know, accidentally die or you right. know, have an incident where, you know, death could occur during, you know, a college sport. You know, that's right. It's not good for, you know, the athlete, but it's also not good for, you know, the league either. So, uh, unfortunately, by the time that I made it to Tiffin, uh, it, it just didn't really work out for me. I didn't get to play. But uh, I decided after um, high school, and this was 15 days after my, my 18th birthday, uh, I was going to join the military. So, I took the inability to play college football and turn it into like, hey, all right, well, I need something to pay for school because Tiffin was expensive as a private school. Uh, so I joined the military. I was like, all right, we'll join the Ohio National Guard. So uh, moving into that, uh, it was kind of like a, uh, not like a last minute decision, but it was like a kind of a at the moment decision. Um, Didn't really think a whole lot about it no no i didn't <laughs> and um you know Say, hey kids you want to pay for school y- you said yes yeah so <laughs> um i took my ASVAB uh my senior year and i scored i think it was like a 72 uh which is the general score which is not bad uh, it's not the highest but it's, it's not bad um and this was after you know having several concussions having you know a loss of time and and learning and things like that like there's a lot of things from high school i don't remember that i learned about uh, which is terrifying, but <laughs> <laughs> but it changed me, uh, and I think ultimately, like that's a part of who I am today. Is like, who knows if that didn't happen, how I would act or interact with anybody, or you know, what I would think about myself. So, I would also say that's a defining moment in my life, having a concussion that caused, you know, a six month plus retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so my dad, uh, my dad was in the Ohio National Guard um, and he has been in since uh, I think he's getting ready to retire. So almost 30 years now. So at the time, you know, we're talking eight years ago now uh, and 2013 is when I graduated high school. So, yeah. So 2013, 
Um, you know, he had been in for 20 plus years and he kind of talked to me about it and he's like, Hey, he's like, how do you plan on affording college? And I was like, I don't know. Cause we grew up in a small town. My mom didn't make a lot of money and I had younger siblings that she still had to take care of. So I didn't have, you know, money to fall back on. I couldn't, you know, ask family for money because well, one, you know, uh, the area doesn't pay well. And, you know, even if you're at a job for 20, 30 years, like you just don't have the money, especially right. for, you know, a college university that costs thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to go to. Um, so I was like, I don't know. Uh, he's like, well, why don't you, why don't you join, you know, the military? And I said, okay, we'll all look into it. So, Originally, I tried to join active duty uh, Air Force, and my buddy, um, he was two years older than me. My buddy got in, and he's an EOD tech, so he's explosive ordnance uh, tech for the Air Force full-time, and has been since, obviously, he had graduated high school. So I was really looking forward to joining the Air Force. Well, the recruiter that recruited him and the recruiter for our area was retiring the next year, and he wouldn't call me back. He, like I left him messages like he was in Athens, which was about 30, 35 minute drive from where I grew up. So I didn't want to just like drive there and go to the office and then nobody be there. So like I kind of gave up on the whole Air Force thing and I looked at the Ohio National Guard because it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't active duty. So I could stay, you know, somewhat local, um, which they lied and told me, oh, it's one week in a month, two weeks, you know, in the <laughs> summer. It's that's bullshit. Don't ever believe that. It's way more than that. They just try to tell you that because that's the old school way of thinking. It's um, not as bad. No, it's, it's way worse than that. Yeah. We'll talk about that though. <laughs> we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, so I was like, okay, we'll join the Ohio National Guard. So I had turned um, eighteen, and I knew that I had to wait until. I turned 18 because I knew my mom wouldn't co-sign for me. So two weeks after my 18th birthday, I go to the recruiting station. Uh, we had obviously had conversations with the recruiter beforehand. And they're like, okay, do you want to do this? And I said, sure, let's do it. So I signed the, you know, the agreement that I would go through uh, MEPS, which is the, it's the pre-medical like clearinghouse for the military. They just make sure that like, you know, you don't have any disqualifying, you know, medical issues um, or previous like medical history that would be considered disqualifying. Um, so let me tell you one thing about that experience. I was told to lie about everything. The recruiter what? no longer is in the military. He's retired. So I will say this, but he told me to lie about everything. I'm allergic to eggs. Eggs is, is technically a disqualifying service medical issue. Uh, don't know why I have no clue why, but it is, it was at least at the time. So, you know, eight years ago, it may have changed now, but, uh, you know, I had, um, I had what we consider asthma as a kid growing up, which didn't really affect me once I got into like the high school years. Uh, I still kind of every once in a while had, had issues like playing sports, but, um, they told me to lie about that. They told me to, uh, to lie about like, Oh, have you ever drank underage? No. Well, of course we all did. <laughs> I grew up in a freaking cornfield of a town. That's the only thing we could do <laughs> to have fun. It's like party and drink alcohol. Um, so lie about that. Like, oh, did you ever smoke marijuana? Nope. Lie about that. I was like, <laughs> okay, great. This is awesome. So I'm just going to lie. And this is going to be the premise of how I joined the military, uh, which isn't a different experience. There's a lot of people that, that were told the same thing. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that is it's, actually just it's, really prominent. It's kind <laughs> of the normal, which is shitty. I mean, it's super shitty that you have to lie to even be cleared to join. Now, granted, like, yeah, if, if I had, like, serious medical issues, like being diabetic or something that could, like, actually kill me, um, you know, I'm not saying that asthma couldn't, but it wasn't severe enough to where I needed, like, an inhaler on me at all times. Right. Because, we, you know, we know people like that. We know people that have issues where, you know, they could walk a flight of stairs and they have to use a rescue inhaler. Um, so that was never the issue. So it was like, okay, well, yeah, your whole premise is going to be based on lying and you're going to sign this saying that you have no issues and, you know, obviously I have all that paperwork. Uh, but ultimately it never did affect me, uh, with like the food in the military. Yes. There's a lot of fake eggs, but there was always substitutes. Um, they wouldn't just serve eggs because obviously you can't just serve eggs for breakfast, uh, <laughs> because not everybody eats just eggs for breakfast. Right. But, uh, so yeah, there was, you know, alternative. So it made it easy for me. Um, I think when I went into basic training, I ate, uh, every morning for breakfast, I ate biscuits and gravy. And they would switch it up, you know, like a couple of days they would do like regular sausage biscuits and gravy. And then they would do like chipped beef in gravy, which was really weird because I'd never had chipped beef before. Um, it's just like little small flakes of beef, but it was super salty. So like, oh, it sounds awful. Well, it wasn't bad because like you think, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go to McDonald's and you put a little bit of salt, salt and pepper in it to kind of like season the okay, gravy. Yeah. So it already had that flavor. So I was like, okay, well, this isn't bad. So I didn't have to like, you know, add anything to it. But let me tell you this. I drank a lot of water when I would eat that. <laughs> I had like three glasses of water. Too much breakfast. salt in the system. Way too much. It, it that early. Because, you know, you think in the military, we're probably eating breakfast around 6, 6 a.m., 6.30 in the morning after we had just gotten done working out. So, of course, we're all starving, sweaty, and we want to eat. Right. Um, so, um, you know, the food in the military wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. I mean, honestly – uh the, the i gained a lot of weight when i joined really yeah so uh i think when i when i first signed the contract they weighed me in at like 120 126 pounds i think is what i weighed um and then by the time that i graduated basic so this was july 31st from july 31st and i graduated basic and uh i think it was like the last week in january uh so was it six months i gained uh 40 pounds holy shit <laughs> yeah yeah now i kind of question like what kind of steroids did they have in the food because that's not natural like people can't gain that much weight naturally right uh but i did i gained i weighed myself when i left i weighed 166 pounds when i left basic training which is crazy to me yeah and you're someone months. with like a super high metabolism super you can high. eat like nine cheeseburgers in one sitting and won't gain a pound yeah absolutely but uh yeah so i would that was like that was great that was a, that was a great experience <laughs> like i was like yes this is sweet so uh, i went to basic training in oklahoma so and it was during the winter time it was really 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 cold so i figured you know like oh it's close to texas it's gonna be warm lies it was so cold <laughs> like ohio weather is cold in the winter but it didn't have anything on oklahoma the wind really? yeah because it's so flat oh, out yeah there. there's in the nothing plains, there there's like not even the trees stopped the wind yeah like it was freezing and we got more snow that year in oklahoma than ohio did what yeah yeah <laughs> so i was like oh my god like what what the hell like this is oklahoma this is south <laughs> we're in the southern states like 
no, that's not the case. That wasn't the case. So um, I think a lot of that was you know, putting on a bunch of weight for the winter. Like, I don't know if like evolutionally, I think we've all changed away from that. But for some reason, like my body's like, nah, we're going to put on some weight <laughs> for the winter. We're going to be like a bear. We're going to hibernate. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, went through that. It was fine. I never had any issues in basic training. Uh, I, I got in trouble once. Um, I didn't really grow facial hair at that age. Uh, I struggled to grow facial hair and we were, we were told we had to shave every day. Well, one time I didn't shave in the morning after PT and breakfast and the drill sergeant, um, I didn't even remember his name, uh, but he was, uh, not from the U S originally. And, um, I think he was Southern, uh, like Southern Pacific. So like Asian descent. Okay. And, uh, he he didn't speak like great English, but it was well enough. Obviously, you could understand him. Right. And he got in my face. He's like, "Hey, private. Yes, Joe Sergeant. You shaved today? Yes, Joe Sergeant. You fucking lying to me? <laughs> no, Joe Sergeant. I was lying through my ass because I was so <laughs> afraid to get in trouble. Well, I should have just told him the truth. And uh." at the end of that so i had to do some push-ups do some sit-ups you know he kind of smoked me out a little bit a little exercise you know <laughs> for lying uh he made me write a 1000 word essay on the importance of shaving my face mind you i'm in basic training i have no internet no phone no books you just have to make shit up i had to make this shit up <laughs> a thousand word essay Mind you, we have, you know, we start at like five in the mornings, wake up from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night, roughly, sometimes longer, sometimes a little shorter. Um, we were doing stuff. So there was no in between time of like, hey, let me sit down and write, you know, a couple words. No, I had to do this in one day from 10 p.m. until I woke up at 5 a.m. I got no sleep that night. <laughs> I think I made it to like 600 words. I ran out of steam. I was like, just <laughs> aren't. I was like, I couldn't complete the assignment. I said, here's what I have to turn into you the next day. And uh, he took it and never said a word to me. Guarantee you, he probably just threw it away. And that was like his form of punishment. But I was so stressed <laughs> out. I was like, oh my God, bro. Like, what do I write about? Like, why is it important to shave my face? I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm 18 years old. Like, I just started growing facial hair. What, what, the, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Yeah, so like, all right, you know, I talked about how professional standards in the military, blah, 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 but that didn't last very long. <laughs> and then I started making shit up. I'm like, it's important because I'm a grown up and I'm responsible and this is why we do this. And I'm like, this is trash. Well, I need some references. Like, <laughs> let me let me write let me write a book report on this. But no, of course not. I would just Bart Simpson that shit. Just read the same <laughs> sentence like a hundred times. <laughs> Listen, I thought about it, but then I was afraid. I was like, he's going to smoke the shit out of me. I don't want to do more push-ups. Words, words yeah. next. Yeah, right? Like, you can imagine if it would have been any more than 1,000. I couldn't barely write 600. <laughs> so so um, I turned into him, and that was the last time I never I, – I didn't shave in the morning. Like, that was the last time that ever happened because uh, I didn't want to do that again. Now, granted uh, – when I finished basic training, I definitely like kind of took a lot of life lessons from that. Like, okay, structuring my life, you know, um, eh, not so much one to be told. Like, I don't like being told what to do, but I, I'll do it. Like, okay, got it. It's like the military. Like, that's the premise, you know, 
Right. Somebody that's been in longer than me made the decision, so they're going to just tell me what to do. Fine. Uh, so I never had any issues um, kind of like following the rules or whatever after that. But uh, when I went to Arizona, so I went from uh, Oklahoma to Arizona uh, for uh, individual training, uh, advanced individual training, which was like the job school. So <clears throat> the job school I went for is uh, intelligence, uh, military intelligence or all source analyst, um, kind of like a cl- conglomerate of the um, intelligence um, specialties. So like you have human, which was human interaction where they actually went out and talked to people and gathered, you know, information and intelligence from people um then you have like signal intelligence which is you know its own little thing you have OSINT, which is like um spatial photography essentially so like you have these nice space imagery pictures of things that you need to like hey this is the location these are the coordinates you you know divulge the information from those and then you know just like even at the ground level like guys that are on you know their boots on the ground you know they're in the village of doing you know whatever mission that day is and hey you know this guy said that you know there's a bomb maker that is in the village for you know al-qaeda or whatever um so we kind of took all those pieces from you know the individual specialties and just kind of made one giant uh what was called an intelligence summary and then we would brief that to the command team. Uh, so my job was really interesting um, and learning about it was very interesting, but it was like a college course. So uh, imagine, you know, 17 weeks, uh, just just over four, uh, four months of a college course that was so fast paced, like uh, it was so fast paced so that if you failed a test, we had four main tests uh, if you failed one of them, they would recycle you all the way back to the beginning Jeez. and you would have to redo it all over again. So, um, you know, I learned a lot. Um, a couple things that I found very interesting was, uh, doing like targeting packets. So like, Hey, like this guy makes bombs. So you figure out what he looks like. You figure out what his patterns are. You figure out, you know, who his relationships are with. And then you hand this stuff off over to the command team. And then the command team makes a decision on like, Hey, let's capture this guy or Hey, like this guy, you know, we're going to have to kill him or whatever the case is. Um, and that was like, that was the thing that I was most interested in. And it's kind of like dark. It's kind of like this dude's like fucked up. It's twisted in the head. Like he enjoyed this really, really studying people from like a far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're gathering like what I found most interesting about it is you're gathering information that they don't even know you're gathering on them. Um, which, you know, kind of opens, opens up the question for like, you know, what happens in the U S with, you know, three letter agencies, but we're not going to go into that. We're not going into that, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's what we were doing overseas. And, you know, obviously, um, I never deployed. I wish I, and I actually, uh, I, I applied to, um, we had forms to, um, uh, request basically deployment. Um, I, I applied to three, uh, two to Afghanistan, one to Iraq. And I never got picked up for it, but that was kind of like, I wanted to solidify my service to myself. Like that was my defining moment of like, if this actually counts, I want it to be, you know, I want to at least do one deployment. And I don't want to, I don't want to go to Kuwait or Jordan or any of these other like supporting countries because 
that's not what I thought as to being like my solidifying service. Like this is the one thing that I want to do. Right. Yeah. And this is just to like put it in perspective. This is like the, I guess some of the quote unquote final years of the, basically the result of nine 11. Yeah. That you're working in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You grow, you grew up, you saw it on TV and now you are in the military looking at being really involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you say that because we didn't even touch on this. But, um, yeah, I remember being in school the day uh, that 9-11 happened. We watched it in the classroom, uh, which it's kind of messed up. You know, looking back on that, like, why would you show a bunch of kids, like, <laughs> kindergarten, first graders, like, what's happening? Because we don't know what's going on. Like, we don't understand. Like, we see planes crash into a building and we're like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? Yeah. That terrified us. But, you know, like, yeah, I grew up remembering and seeing that. And then every year after that, the same stuff, they would replay the same recordings. We would yep. do, you know, assemblies for 9-11. We would do assemblies for people that were from the area or close to the area where, you know, if they were killed in action or they were injured in action, we would have veterans come and talk to us. Like, that was crazy to me. So, like, living in a small town, I don't know if it's the same for bigger towns, but, like, living in a small town, we had, like, that family basis of like everybody's family which isn't really true uh but we're gonna right. pretend like it is and we're gonna do these assemblies and you know it's it was very interesting when i grew up uh coming back to those because they do sometimes ask like alumni to hey come back be a part of the ceremony if you can you know um, i remember her i think it was my senior year i remember volunteering to um help the veterans around the school because like we would do a breakfast for them and stuff like that so like we would introduce them to ourselves we would be like their personal i guess um like chauffeur around the school for that day we'd make that's sure kind of cool yeah so like that was a really cool experience but um you know that that was kind of like my first memories and then that was kind of like the drive behind why i wanted to to go overseas you know and i'm not saying that I'm not saying, you know, the length of time that we're over there was the right amount of time. Um, I'm not saying what we did over there was, you know, good. I'm just saying that, you know, for me personally, that's what I wanted to do to just really make, make it feel like I actually did something. Yeah. You know, make, make it, make it seem like to myself that I actually served my country because yeah. a lot of people will tell you like, Oh, thanks for your service. Well, I really don't feel like I did anything. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I, I need to be thanked. You should thank the people that, you know, went overseas, they got injured or they got killed or, you know, they saw shit that, you know, nobody should really see. I mean, it's the atrocities of war, but, um, you know, th that's, that's kind of why, uh, you know, we see issues with, you know, 22, 22 a day. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, veteran suicide is high because of the things that they saw or the things that they had to endure. And, you know, I'm thankful that I didn't have that experience. I didn't have the negative side of it, but I'm also, uh, I kind of hurt myself because I thought about it way too much. I'm like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't get to go overseas. Like, I feel like I filled that, that part of my life that I didn't get to close that door. Right. Right. But ultimately like, um, I stayed in for seven years doing the same stuff. Uh, my original contract was for six. So I did the six. And then on the seventh year, I extended, and then ultimately I decided to get out, which um, took us up to 2020. So I got out in July of 2020. 
Um, but there's a lot of things that happened between then and now, um, namely being when I got back from AIT, I went to college at Tiffin. Um, so I still followed through with going to Tiffin because of their criminal justice program. Um, you know, it was difficult because I still had to do, you know, the summer stuff, which no big deal in college. Like I really wasn't working like a full-time job or anything at the time. So like, I didn't have any issues with that. But if I had to leave, you know, like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday for drill on a monthly basis, then, you know, it took away from, you know, the experience in college, whether it was like doing schoolwork or hanging out with friends, um, you know, fraternity, things like that. Uh, you know, I missed out on a lot of stuff because of that. And, you know, I remember uh, missing, I think, like three or four of my birthdays. Like normally a birthday celebration, I just do small with my family mm-hmm. um because it's summertime like i've never had you know one of those birthday months in school where well your friends are your around friends are around yeah. and you know you can make plans or whatever or your parents will make cookies or brownies or whatever and they'll send them in with you to school so i never got that experience but um you know i would just do like small get together with family mom you know go out to dinner or something like that so there was like three or four years in a row where i just didn't celebrate my birthday because i was doing military stuff um, which really sucked and that kind of like made me sad definitely made me sad yeah because uh, you know you miss those connections and and especially if it's like a family tradition um, it's kind of difficult to like change those um, at least for me it was and it may not be for everybody but um, that uh, it, it made it difficult being you know part-time military going to school full-time and then like trying to find the time to balance you know family life you know, maintaining, you know, friendships with people in college and, you know, being able to like uh, go out and party if I wanted to party or, you know, do whatever, just even hang out. So, um, which to kind of caveat off of, uh, was the reason why I kind of looked for fraternity. I kind of looked for that brotherhood in college, uh, because I got a sense of that in the military and obviously having younger siblings, uh, two younger brothers, well, technically three, three younger brothers now, uh, but, uh, two younger brothers at the time, I was like, well, I really want a sense of like having family away from family. So, uh, first year in college, uh, would have been the fall of 2014 and I was still new on campus and my, uh, RA at the time was Ivan and Ivan was, uh, the president of Phi Theta Pi at the time. Uh, and I, I got along really well with Ivan uh, my freshman year, which technically because I received college credits from the military for doing my individual training, um, I was uh, in sophomore standing. So I was in the freshman dorms. He was the RA. Or he's head, he was actually the head RA. Um, Ivan was such a good dude. He was. He, re- he still is. He still is. <laughs> he, he still is. He still is. Well, um, real, real quick, I just saw Ivan last week. Did you? I did. Um, he's still a great person. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. If, if he's listening, uh, you're obviously welcome to come and do this. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to hear something from him. Yeah. But, um, you know, to, to caveat on what you just said about that, uh, yeah, he was the first, uh, face of Phi Theta Pi that I saw and he, he didn't pressure me. He, you know, Hey, if you're looking, you know, to be involved in something on campus, you're new here, you're a freshman, um, it was know. a little sales pitchy. No, not really though, because it was more like, it wasn't all in one sitting. Okay. It was like, 
you know, I first got to know him because we did like the icebreakers and like get to know the staff right. that would be there to help you. And then like, I got along with them. So then like, I kind of, um, I kind of went out of my way to like have conversations with them. And then like, I saw him wearing letters one day and I'm like, you know, ask about it. And he's, Oh yeah. You know, I'm president of five days of pie. <laughs> and then like, it kind of just rolled into this giant snowball of like, all right, well me asking more questions, like, what do you guys do? You know, what, you know, give me some information. Like I'm kind of interested. And then it kind of went from there. So it wasn't really sales pitchy. It was more of like, it was like a normal interaction. Like, you know, you express somewhat of an interest in something and then they, you know, tell you a little bit. And then, yeah. you know, okay. if you have more, you know, if you have more questions about it, then, you know, come back and we'll revisit the topic. And then it came down to me sitting in his room one night because he had a double by himself, um, perks of being the head RA. Um, he, I, was, I remember sitting, I think it was on his futon and we were talking about it. And I think that was like the, the defining moment of like, all right, I think I'm going to actually go hang out. Because at this point, I haven't hung out with anyone else in the fraternity. He's the only person. Yeah, he was the only person that I okay. met. So, knowing where the house was and stuff like that, because he obviously told me, um, he, you know, wasn't wasn't like trying to force me anything. He's like, hey, if this is what you're interested in, feel free. We have open houses coming up. You know, pledging is in the spring. So, like, you know, I got a lot of good information from him, and it wasn't like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like it was like a a recruiting pitch. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like. Yeah we need you come join us today. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was more of just like having a, a good conversation with a good person. Yeah. So I remember that. And then obviously at opening the door for looking at fraternities within Tiffin, uh, one of the other presidents from, uh, Omega Psi Rho, I believe, uh, he was also in the national guard. He talked to me about joining, them and i'm like oh it's like there's more than one fraternity on school uh, on campus <laughs> and i was like okay and we that was that was the recruiting pitch and no offense to him like you know they didn't have a lot of guys at the time and i don't even know if they're still around but um it was more of like a hey you should you should come to our open house and i'm like okay like uh, <laughs> no thanks <laughs> i don't i'm good but, um, you know, it was funny, like seeing the two completely different interactions. Um, and, you know, obviously I don't, I don't expect everybody to be the same, but, uh, you know, that just kind of, it kind of shows the light of who Ivan is. And, and that's a very small portion of his life. Um, you know, the fraternity was, you know, three or four years of his college experience. And, you know, I'm sure he still is involved somewhat, um, probably less regularly now since he doesn't yeah. live, you know, local anymore, but. Uh, you know, he was one of, I would say the good ones, right? He's one of the ones that you look back and you remember like, oh man, yeah, Ivan is such a great guy. And there's plenty of other brothers that, you know, I met and, and I have those memories of too. Um, one in particular happens to be Julian and (laughs) Julian really solidified me wanting to join the fraternity. Um, Julian and I met each other, I would say probably one or two months after, you know, the final conversation with Ivan, it was after one of the open houses and, uh, Julian and I clicked right away. Uh, Julian, uh, I think was originally from Cincinnati and I was, you know, from a small town, not too far from Cincinnati. So we could connect, you know, on a, on a regional basis. We were kind of close to Ohio. Yeah. Kind of close to the same, you know, cities and stuff. And like, I was a Reds fan and, you know, like I had an interest in Cincinnati and, uh, I remember, I remember, uh, the first time 
and I don't know if I'm going to like throw some shade, but uh, the first time we ever partied together and he got so drunk. I remember driving as uh, it's a gray Ford escape. Uh, oh, I remember that car <laughs> driving it to Denny's at like three in the morning because, well, he was hammered and he's like, let's go get, let's go get some breakfast. And I'm like, all right. That was my first introduction to like drunk Denny's. I wasn't intoxicated. Uh, not that time, but it was like the first introduction. And I think I still have, so he took a video of me dipping, uh, marinara, uh, what is it? Cheese sticks, like cheese sticks and marinara. And I was like, just like looking down and he was like, Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> I was just like, here, take one, you fucker. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that video. <laughs> it's so long ago, but I still have that. Like, like, that was just like, that was who him and I were. We were always yeah. like, have a good time, always joking around. Like, it was such a good experience. Just and I being remember goofy. Yeah, being ourselves, being goofy, you know, just just living life, right? As, yeah. as you know, teenagers and, and I think, uh, I think him in his early twenties, I think he was like 20 or 21 at the time. I think he's 21 when I first met him. Yeah. So, um, I was still what 19 had just turned 19. So, uh, you know, that, that experience really solidified and then meeting some of the other guys, Denzel, uh, Chuck, if you ever listen to this, Chuck, <laughs> my homie. So the family lineage, um, and I'll get to explaining how, how it kind of turned out. But uh, Julian ended up being my grand big. And uh, Charles Logan, Xavier, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, he was my big. So, And oh, I, think it, I think he only picked me because Julian made him. <laughs> Julian bullied him. He did. Chuck he did. into it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Chuck telling me that. He got mad at me one night. He's like, no, nah, the only reason why I picked you is because Julian bitched about it too much. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, that's difficult. That's difficult. So uh, we roll around to the first Halloween party um, that I remember, which was the toga party. I I want to say that it was held with the Deltas, maybe, because I remember the Alphas were really upset that they partied with the Deltas at we one point. We did throw a like was, off campus party it's it's not a normal fraternity party right no, it's yeah, a yeah. like it's a like the american legion or whatever yeah. and they provide alcohol and we have to card everyone like all that stuff yep um shit i think i don't think that that one wasn't a toga party it was um but we did do a party with the deltas i remember the toga party the toga party wasn't put on by us and then the fraternity that put it on <laughs> Didn't even dress up in togas. Oh, what? <laughs> the whole the whole five fraternity dressed up in togas and just stole the show. <laughs> oh my god! Of course, that's normally how it goes, right? Yeah. So okay, so it was. I was I was almost certain that it was the party with the deltas. That was the first one. So I wasn't invited. Uh, not cool enough. No, I wasn't cool enough. <laughs> I, I I didn't know anyone there. They asked me at the door, "Who do you know here?" And I, I don't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i didn't go to that one but i remember uh pre-gaming for the toga party at the house that i didn't go to i didn't go to that party right because they carded at the door and they told me like hey they're not gonna let you in so i was like oh well fine well i'll just drink we'll just hang out yeah i'll drink some like cheap it wasn't even malibu i don't even know the name of the alcohol but it was some kind of like cheap rum that Julian was drinking and oh my god it was disgusting <laughs> but he was hammered it was hilarious like the, it was so bad. I remember Ethan uh, came up the stairs and yelled at us. 
Um, oh man, I don't even know if I was there. You weren't. You weren't there. Uh, I think. I think you were with. Uh, it was probably a, your girlfriend uh, at the time. Yeah, either home or there. Uh, I think you were with her at the time, and uh, yeah, he was so upset because we were being so loud upstairs. <laughs> so of course, it's you know, Julian, myself, Denzel, and and Chuck. Some loud motherfuckers. Loud. We had the loudest dudes <laughs> in the house, and yeah. So of course, Ethan was upset about it, which is funny because he was what we considered the the house father. Uh, oh yeah. At the time. Just <laughs> trying to keep order in the place. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work. Trust. <laughs> I know for a fact. And I was outside not. looking in, so <laughs> I couldn't imagine what it <laughs> what it was on the inside. It looked pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. So. You know, that was my introduction to kind of like the uh, the parties, uh, which, you know, that's not defining of the fraternity at all. That was just like, hey, we all liked the same things. We all enjoyed, you know, drinking and having a good time. Yeah. So um, but we did good things. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that was what the spring semester was for. It was always well in November. But um, yeah that that was for prostate cancer uh, we always try to do something for it and we would always raise a shitload of money for yeah. prostate cancer even being on like a small campus we still raised a shitload yeah like 10 grand yeah. every every year yeah and it trickled down i remember being the president and throwing a you know a last minute november thing together and it kind of trickled down whenever i was the president but we also lost a lot of people between those couple of years yeah um just for through graduation and you know, obviously, like changes in in campus um, culture. Uh, that yeah. was a big thing that really affected like recruitment and getting you know guys in. But uh, you know, spring rolled around. I pledged. Uh, was one of five that originally pledged. Uh, by the end of it, it was three weeks. Uh, was it three weeks? I can't remember. Yeah, pledging was. I think your pledging was, was only two. It was two weeks. weeks. It was two weeks for us, and the next year it was three weeks. Yeah, because you were the first class after I joined. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so pledging was only two weeks long, and there was five. Five of us. Five of you. By the end of week one, which wasn't hard, week one was easy. There was three of us. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to turn out good. <laughs> the first day of the second week, the other guy quit. And I'm like, oh, my God. So uh, my pledge brother and I, uh, Rob who actually uh, was, what, what's the what's the term for it? He was a uh, legacy. Yeah, he's a legacy. He was, he was a legacy, so his dad his was dad's in, in the fraternity. fraternity. And um, it was just him and I. We were the last two guys. We were just like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're, in a, you're doing pledging in a house of like 15 dudes all staring at you. Yeah. And yeah. both of you guys are scrawny and everyone else <laughs> besides me. <laughs> like just jacked you and, you dudes. and Ethan. Yeah, you and Ethan were like the two smallest dudes in the house. Yeah. And, and so everyone's just jacked, like goes to the gym, works out, whatever. I'm like, oh my God. Like I was terrified. This is I mean, it was a really good experience. So that is one of the times where if I could relive a moment in time, it would and it sounds really corny, but I would relive like that last week of pledging. Yeah. Because that's when I really got to know, you know, guys that I hadn't interfaced with before. That's when I really got to know who they were um, and at a deeper level, not just like surface level. Oh, I'm, I'm majoring in this and this is what I enjoy doing. No, it was like personal things that, you know, we had to um, we had to ask and learn about each other. And I think um, I think that really was like the defining moment of like, yeah, I'm going to go through this no matter what, like good or bad. 
you know, it, it doesn't yep. matter to me. And, and that is something that I would probably relive again because it was such a good and, and unique experience for me to know that like, I'm not the only one that had struggles growing up. Like everybody has their own set of struggles. So I could relate and I'm like, oh my God, like that sounds so similar to what I went through. And then you kind of build this special connection with somebody that you, you've known for two weeks, three weeks, a couple months, like, yeah. and then you can, you can always rely on them. You know, they'll always have your back or they'll be able to at least provide something to you if you ever were in need. And, you know, I, I've seen this because we've had conversations with guys that I've met through fraternity and even guys that I hadn't met until like alumni events where they would go out of their way to do something to help, you know, one person or the greater good. And like that experience, I would have never gotten through sports. I would have never gotten through, you know, um, like different clubs and things like that, you know, just like at surface level, you know, all we have ones, you know, one common, you know, denominator that we can all relate to. No, this was on multiple levels um, from surface to, you know, even at like, the home life, how we grew up, things like that. Absolutely. And like back to the thing that you said, you'd relive it. Like, I feel like pretty much all of us would relive it. There'd maybe be like one or two people who wouldn't. There's like three (laughs) (laughs) that can, I can can account for. Yeah. And like, even it's crazy um, to go off to a couple of points that you mentioned. Like I've started this journey here of this podcast and, everyone who showed up almost everyone has been fraternity brothers yeah <laughs> everyone's everyone's here to support and like wants to tell their story even you know five years after i graduated and like you know meeting them whenever i was in school and then there's some people i haven't talked to in she's two three years yeah <laughs> and they're still like, yo, let me come in, like hang out with you and do this podcast. So I think it's, it's really cool. Yeah. It's a, I know we'll probably get hate from people whenever they listen to this and whatever, but it's just such a different dynamic that our fraternity has than anyone else. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's not a knock on anybody else. It's not a knock no, on any other fraternity. It's just like the time that we went in, um, I think we all, bonded really well we were all very similar um you know even down to like mannerisms even down to like just interests in general um so it's not a knock on any any other fraternity it's not a knock on anyone that's non you know that wasn't in a fraternity either Um, right you know you can still have those shared experiences that just be at a different level which is fine you know and some people uh you know this is the stereotype you you had to pay for your friends well honestly it was like 50 bucks it was dirt cheap it was dirt cheap now go to a bigger school, you know, it's $500 for a semester or whatever. Right. At minimum. But for us, that's not what we based our premises on. It wasn't, that was never about the money. Right. It was about the shared experience. It was about, you know, having somebody that you could consider yourself as, you know, a brother. Um, and then even for the alphas, you know, our sister sorority, it was having a sister. Like if I needed, you know, uh, help with, a female in my life at the time in college, like I could always rely on a sister to give me advice. Like, you know, Oh, dating advice or, Oh, Hey, like I did this and they got upset and you could, you would, we would always have somebody yeah. to, to like fall I need back the girl on. logic. Yeah. Because we, as guys, we're dumb when it comes to relationships <laughs> and don't understand how women think. And, you know, I don't think we'll ever will, but, um, 
you know, it was always nice having that like group of friends, regardless brothers or sisters. Like it was always nice having that set group of friends and you didn't have to interface with them every day. Right. We would do events together. We would do, you know, small, small get togethers, parties, things like that together. But like, if I didn't want to talk to somebody for a week, I could not talk to them and then turn around and be like, Hey, what are you doing? Let's go hang out. You know, that's great. Like that to me was like, it was so nice to have somebody that we considered yeah. family away from home because like, you know, granted I wasn't that far, but there were people from out of state, um, that came and, and joined the fraternity and they had family, you know, states away from where they actually grew up. Right. So that was always nice for me, uh, at least in my, my personal opinion, because <laughs> I know some guys probably don't have that same thought. Uh, you know, I could think of a couple that really disengaged, but you know, Hey, if it's not right for you, it's not right for you. Right. So, um, uh, but to move on and move forward with that, uh, really, uh, so pledging, pledging was a good experience. I got to know a lot about, you know, uh, my pledge brother. I got to know a lot about the brothers that were already in the fraternity. Um, and it, it made me realize like, Oh, this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly why I considered joining in the first place. So, uh, as, as time moved forward, um, I really developed, you know, personal relationships with each individual, um, just outside of the fraternity. And like, we would go and hang out, we would go, you know, Oh, let's go to the bar. Let's go to do this. And, you know, there'd be a group of us that go to the bar and we'd get drunk and we would walk back from the bar and we'd have a great time doing it. Like it was phenomenal. And, um, I think it was right after, uh, that spring semester, we lost a couple guys to graduation. Um, so returning back into the fall, we, we all kind of knew like, oh man, it's not going to be the same. You know, we're going to miss certain individuals. Oh, this um, is when we lost like the big class yeah, of people. There was the like a big class. Yeah. And our, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but our fraternity size is like 15. Yeah. <laughs> so we added two at the, this pledge class. Yeah. And the graduation class was like 10 people leaving. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we really halved our numbers, uh, insanely quick. I mean, it was within six months. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm glad that those guys got to graduate and move on and move forward with their life. But it really, was like kind of like a hole. It was kind of a hole in my heart. I was like, damn, yeah, like, we missed them. I miss this. Like I miss going out to Denny's at three in the morning, hammered drunk <laughs> off my ass, eating some shitty Denny's food <laughs> so I can regret it in the next, you know, the next day. But um, <clears throat> it was cool because some of those guys did eventually come back for alumni events or they came back randomly. And, you know, one of those guys was Josh Franklin, who was also in my family uh, family line. He was Julian's big, I believe. Um, yeah, I think so. So I'm trying to get him in here. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's a character. He was a great dude. Still a great dude. Uh, he's off on his own venture right now. He seems to be doing well. Always keep up with him on social media. Chat with him a couple times. But uh, he he would do. He would be one of those guys that dropped in randomly. Would not say a word. You'd walk out the back door of the house, and we had a parking lot attached to the house. And he would be there, like walking into the house. You'd be like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Like unannounced, never would say a word. Like, like oh, a I random, just stopped in. Random Thursday, like four o'clock yeah we're going to get dinner at the cafeteria and he's like hey what are you guys doing we're like oh shit frank what are you doing bro and he's big like this dude's massive like big dude i was terrified of him because he was there i think one or two nights during pledging uh when i, he's when I pledged and he's, he's got a he's got a big voice big voice he's he's a big guy in general like super strong 
and he terrified me. I was like, oh my God, he's going <laughs> to eat me. I'm scared. <laughs> Love him to death. Great guy. Um, but yeah, he was just that type of person. He would, you know, he would pop in and say, hey, he'd hang out for like 30 minutes and then he'd be gone for three or four months and he'd do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> that was a really funny experience. So I did want to bring this up. So Shay from 006 <laughs> said that Cameron was a very large part in the reason why he pledged. Yeah, he that did say may, that. That may be true, but I remember particularly <laughs> hanging out with Brad and Shay in the sophomore dorms. Um, and I would talk about the fraternity. And Shay was always like, eh, I don't know, like, eh, probably not. And then, you know, <laughs> like, I got Brad really interested in it. And uh, Brad and him hung out quite often because they were friends and they lived in the same dorm, same level, stuff like that. Right. So they would hang out pretty often. And I think we finally talked Shay into at least giving a second thought. And I think this is where, like, the whole going in the class together with you and having, you know, some more serious conversations with somebody that was actually a part of the organization, I think that kind of, like, led him to the final decision. But I think I played a big part in that as well. Yeah, it wasn't all me, like yeah. Shay said. And I know he's going to text me right after he hears this. <laughs> and I'm, like, so <laughs> I'm so happy. You motherfucker. I'm so happy. But I had to call him out because I listened to it. I was like, wait a minute. That's not all the truth. <laughs> Listen, we had conversations. I remember playing. Um, he was NHL with Brad, and Shay Shay wouldn't play, but he would like sit in there, and we would chat. And I would just keep boying him about it, like, "Nah, you should really do it, bro. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, what's it gonna hurt?" And, Some uh, real peer pressure tactics. <laughs> absolutely. I was I was the sales guy. I was the sales guy when it came to recruiting. And Come on, uh, man, just one hit of the fraternity, man. man. You'll <laughs> never, you'll never want to live without it. <laughs> you know, it's horrible to think about, but you know, it, and it was for the best because you know, obviously, everybody that we brought into the fraternity had a very similar mindset. We enjoyed doing the same things. Like it wasn't just like a sales pitch. It was like, hey, I recognize you as a good person, and I want you to be a part of a group of other good people because we do good things, we do good charity work, we do good events, um, which we'll talk about one of the ones that I, uh, I kind of helped create with the Deltas. It, I was a little part of it. It's really kind of became a big thing uh, yeah. now, but I, uh, I, I we'll, we'll talk about that. So like knowing that we do all these good things and like Shay grew up in the same area as I did, you know, we were like 30, 40 minutes away from each other unbeknownst to us like we knew each other before we knew each other uh knew of each other at least played played against each other in high school football and it was kind of like the funny moment of like hey where did you grow up oh i just grew up in chillicothe i was like no shit i was like i grew up in wilson he's like no <laughs> shit he's like well i actually grew up going to zane trace and i'm like no way we played you guys every year for like the jamboree game so it was like the the first game of the season but it was like preseason still it was kind of like a scrimmage a live scrimmage and it's like, oh my God, like we met each other without even knowing we met each other. Right. Like this world is so small. Like, holy shit. And I think we had the same realization too. Like you and I, Cameron, of like, oh, you're from there. Oh <laughs> shit. Like, no way. I played football against you guys. Like back in the day, like, holy yeah. shit. Had no idea. So it was really funny kind of like having those conversations and getting to know each other. Uh, at Shay in particular, we had those conversations multiple times. Which leads me into the whole Vinton County original BCO, (laughs) 
Uh, that was their like way a, of. There's a trifecta of where all three of us live. It's and like inside the triangle is Vinton <laughs> County, <laughs> and we all grew up outside the shitty area yep. of Southern Ohio. Nope. It's just a joke. <laughs> and they would bully me for hours on end because, of course, like I couldn't let it go. I would get upset <laughs> and be like, "You motherfuckers! I'm not from Vinton County. Like, don't, don't ever, don't ever." <laughs> so funny but <laughs> so like it it ultimately like transpired to like our traditional like uh uh paddles we do for like the big and littles uh <laughs> i picked brad as my little and he put bco on my paddle and oh, yeah, I, I still still have that paddle <laughs> i haven't painted over it yet brad if you're listening uh it's still hanging on my wall in my office and i hate you i want you to know that <laughs> with all the love in the world i hate you for doing that <laughs> but um, and i love that you did it and really <laughs> made it almost permanent on a paddle it means a lot to me brad <laughs> listen if you weren't bigger than me i would have fought you but you're way too big for me to fight so <laughs> i'm not even gonna try <laughs> <laughs> i was so upset when i got the paddle i was like you motherfucker why did you do that to me it's like thanks i hate it <laughs> yep, this is gonna be the worst one that i receive <laughs> but um no all jokes aside um you know it was it does still hold a, a pretty big special part of my you know, memories of college and, and college life and the fraternity um you know i do still have those hanging up in my wall in my office um and they'll always be there um, sorry, shout out to Brad. Thanks for making me paddle. I never did finishers. I think I panned the, uh, the sides and that was it. Hey, do you see that one sitting in the corner? Uh, I do. Who's, who's that one for? <laughs> it's for Shay. Oh. <laughs> I, sorry, uh, sorry, I Shay. painted that, uh, I painted that uh, in 2017. Listen. And he said, as long as I get it before I get married. Well, he got married last year. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. I mean, you can have it. It's unpainted. <laughs> well, it's painted, but it's not You just finished. imagine what's on it. It's one of those abstract pieces. <laughs> it's one of the ones where you can't tell people what it really means. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, I still have the one uh, paddle that I broke that I was going to give to Brad, but... Uh, uh, that was the one that I only painted the sides on. And I, I'm considering, <laughs> I, I actually did pull out of my closet the, uh, oh God, it would have been like a year ago. And I was going to sit down and I was going to paint it finally. And then I realized that I didn't have any red or black paint. I had gold and that was it. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't finish this. Time to go to the craft store. Where? <laughs> <laughs> Other than Pittsburgh, remember? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I actually live in Patascala. Um, but Cameron thinks a 30 minute drive to Patascala is Pittsburgh. So I still uh, make fun of you for where you live. <laughs> nobody knows where Patascala is. You just tell them outside of Columbus and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, great. That's great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I get bullied for living in Patascala. Thanks Cameron. Appreciate it. Hey that. man, we're homies. I got to mess with you. No, don't <laughs> believe me. I'm going to cry now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, uh, Jumping back into like fraternity stuff um, in college in general, um, I really didn't like school. Um, I kind of I kind of messed around a lot in the three years, three and a half years that I was there, uh, three years on campus, and then I did uh, half a year online to finish my degree. But uh, I really did not enjoy going to class. Uh, that was like super detrimental to my social life, <laughs> and I just couldn't. I I, I just couldn't do it. 
I had a 3.0 GPA. I think I finished with a 3.0, but I don't know how many classes I missed in the three years. Like I just didn't show up. I'm like, I'm not going to go to class today. Uh, which ultimately I ended up getting kicked out of a class because I missed six days, six classes, which is a large portion. I mean, if you think about it, you're only in there for what 15, 15, well, 15 weeks for to get 30 classes. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's almost 30%. You know what I mean? Quite a bit. So I'm like, well, well, I got kicked out of that one. So they gave me a withdrawal fail like great thanks i gotta retake this class again next semester because it was a requirement for my degree thanks doctor if you if you're listening to this thank you thank you for that i was gonna fail anyway (laughs) Um, you just just had fun with it yes yes i did i did and you know that was my premise of college is like i just wanted to have a good time i wanted to enjoy my time on campus i enjoy friendships that i made enjoy almost the stereotypical like college experience. Like I want to go get drunk on a Friday night. And then on Saturday morning, I'm going to wake up and go get breakfast at some shitty diner or Denny's or wherever with, you know, the group of friends. And I made sure to, to, to live that way. But, um, <clears throat> on the other side of the hand, we're talking about doing like, you know, uh, charity events and things to raise awareness and money for different charities. Um, I was involved in planning um, the, I think it's, what do they call it? It's the Delta Gala. I'll be honest. I don't even remember. So it's some sort of gala. It's a, it's a gala. So it's like a night to remember gala and it's based behind like um, cancer awareness, different types of cancers and things like that. And I helped, uh, I kind of helped develop it, kind of helped like plan and, um, you know, give supporting ideas and things like that. I wouldn't say that I was a large part. It was just, I played a very small role when I, when I became the president for Phi Theta Pi, but it was something that I knew that I wanted the, you know, the fraternity to be involved in, whether it was like just help set up or be a part in like the speaking portions or be a part of like the planning, whatever the case was. And, um, you know, I really, really kind of went on board with that and, and drove the show home. Um, the first year, the first year that we did it, it was great. I mean, I think we had maybe a couple of tables that weren't full of people. Um, this was open to the community of Tiffin. This was open to the college students, the faculty. Everybody was invited. It was, you know, open door policy. Dinner was served, uh, catered through uh, the Wall Street Diner, which um, was through the university. Um, and then, you know, we would do like sign auctions, things like that, gift baskets from local businesses and stuff like that. They would donate and then take that money and then use it for, uh, whatever particular, you know, uh, cancer, you know, research or awareness, um, for that year. And I'm not sure if it's changed any or not. This has been quite a few years since I've went, but, uh, the second year I decided that I wanted to speak and I gave, uh, about a 10 minute speech about my mother's experience. Uh, my mother was diagnosed a few years back with breast cancer. Uh, luckily, she they they found it diagnosed it at uh, what they call like zero, so at the very beginning stages. Um, and this is I think about six or seven years ago now. So right right around the time that I was in college, I think it was the after my first year, the summer, uh, when she was diagnosed originally, and then had surgery. Um, she had a double mix. Uh, double mastectomy uh so she did full removal and then reconstruction 
um, to reduce the chances of it coming back. And then I think they removed a couple lymph nodes as well. Um, <clears throat> so it was, it was really a dark time in my life because, you know, obviously cancer, you, you never know like what's going to happen. You don't know how severe it is. You don't know if it's going to come back. You don't know if it's going to spread. You don't know, you know, there's a lot of factors you don't know. Um, uh, but luckily, uh, she was able to get in with, uh, the James, which is, uh, OSU is huge cancer, you know, medical one facility. It's one of the best in the nation. And, uh, you know, everything went great and smooth through surgery. Uh, still, uh, I would, I wouldn't consider remission to be the correct term because she was never on chemo. She never had to do, you know, the extensive, like, you know, reduction and things like that. But, um, she does still take medicine, uh, to help reduce some of the issues like with, without having like lymph nodes and stuff, uh, some hormonal imbalance things and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, she's, she's better obviously, but there's always that worry of like, okay, what happens if it comes back? What if it comes up in a new spot? You know, things like that. So, um, the gala held a really, really close, um, I don't even know the word to explain it, but it, it was, I held it really close to my heart. Um, so the second year that we did it, I, I decided that I wanted to speak about my experience with it because, you know, as a young student, as a young person, as a young, you know, brother, son, you know, grandson, I wanted to share my experience with anyone that could relate. And at our level, um, we had, you know, quite a few older people that had either went through it themselves or like their husbands or their wives or their family member. So they would speak about that. So I wanted to be able to connect to the audience of like, Hey, you know, I'm 20, you're 20. This is what happened. This is kind of my experience. And you know, if they could relate to it, great. If they couldn't even better, because obviously it didn't affect their family or it didn't affect them. Um, but just to give them like the, the insight of like, Hey, you know, you you may not be the only one going through this. Um, even though it may be silent, like, you now know someone that you can reach out to and be like, Hey, you know, can you help me out? You know, I'm just mentally, I'm just drained. You know, I've got a lot of stress on my plate. You know, I know that you've went through something similar. Can I reach out and can we have conversations about it? And, you know, can we, have, you know, can we talk about your feelings and things like that? So I, I wanted to make sure that I opened that door, uh, to any of my peers in school. And, uh, from there, I mean, it's really kind of ran. I mean, I think they just, I don't do they just do it again this year? I think they just had it or they're getting ready to do it again this year. I think they did do it this year. Um, I haven't had contact with anyone on campus for a while. Me either. <laughs> um, I hope that I hope they still do it. I'm pretty sure they still do. Yeah. I don't know since, you know, COVID happened. Yeah. All this was BC. So I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that was another thing too, is like if, the if the new guys for the fraternity are listening and they're not involved please please re-involve yourself as much as possible uh, it's a great cause the the money is used towards charity 100 percent of the proceeds go towards charity um so it's it's something that i think uh, as as an individual you should want to do but as a fraternity we need to do this yeah um because that's that's one of our that's one of our you know principles of the, the founding fathers of the fraternity is like you know good welfare for everybody not just the fraternity right um, the fraternity is just a group of people that share the same outlook yep got to give back absolutely give to you know people struggling absolutely and even if they're not struggling be able to support them if they ever come into a time where they are struggling right so um 
but that's i think that kind of sums up you know the experience with the the gala and, and the fraternity things and you know we struggled uh once the uh my second or third year we struggled with uh you know more members graduating so it was down to i think three of us three or three actives uh before we got shay and there Brad. was there was four of us four of us yeah, yeah. so there's us three. Oh, there was five there was us three one chuck was on his internships yeah he wasn't around and then we had another yeah one older yeah so five of us and we were really struggling for numbers at this point because we're like yeah. oh man like what are we gonna do like we really don't want this to die out because obviously like it's difficult because um you know, college cultures really turn around on fraternity groups and, and there's a few individual fraternities around the country that have kind of been the cause of this, like, you know, whether it's deaths during pledging or hazing, hazing or drugs, them, them saying things in videos that saying nasty shit doesn't yeah. support what the actual fraternity stand for. Like that's the reason why people have such a bad outlook on, you know, fraternities on campus. But with us, we never had that issue. We've never had, you know, an issue that, so to speak, defines us, but it's not really defining us. Like that was a moment in time that like something bad happened. So um, we really struggled to find new guys. And luckily, Shay and Brad um, were in it for the long haul. They actually pledged and they both crossed. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anyone else. Uh, was it Mason was in their class? Mason and then other Brad. And then, yeah, Brad Snyder as well. Uh, so we had four guys join. So we were up to nine. Yeah. And then <laughs> three more graduated. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we really created uh, a good bond with the new guys. And uh, they were able to drive it home after I had graduated um, to get new people in. Uh, we had a pretty decent pledge class. I think it was a year, a year after that. Uh, with some of the new guys, Kyle, Blaine, yeah, there's like eight people. Yeah, so we had we had pretty good you know, pleasant class after that, and I'm not really sure because I don't follow it as much as I did back when I was still involved uh, with the on campus stuff. Uh, but I I know that we just had another pretty decent pledge class this last year, and I'm not sure what you know recruiting looks like this year with COVID. It's been very difficult for right. you know social social uh, organizations altogether on campus just because of the restrictions. Uh, in place, but I, I really do hope that uh, they continue the lineage. I mean, it's almost over a hundred year old fraternity now. Yeah, um, we're almost there. Almost there. So can't uh, die. Yeah, so, can't die yet. No, and and I think there were talks about adding another fraternity. So we were originally an international uh, with a ton of different you know fraternities, but a lot of those schools died out, so we would lose you know those those chapters. fraternities, those chapters, and um, ultimately like it disconnected a lot of members, uh, but we're, we're rebuilding. We're still rebuilding. We've been rebuilding for like the last 10 years. Uh, we've got a good, you know, social media, uh, you know, private group for us. So that way we can all connect. And I know they're always adding members from freaking graduated in 89. Yes. Welcome, you know, whoever. And it's like, holy shit. Like, how did you find this person? Yeah. It's always cool to see like, uh, someone post hey so-and-so from pledge class whatever pre-90s is like found me on facebook and wanted to see what everyone was up to yeah. so welcome them to the group and yeah. it's like what yeah. <laughs> how do you just find people i mean we're in the internet we're in the age of the internet so absolutely you know and that's one thing too it's like i didn't grow up with it like we i grew up with a flip phone 
and I had dial up internet. So like really you weren't actually using the internet like we do now. Like yeah. you're not really Googling a whole lot of stuff. Like that just wasn't, you know, that wasn't around when I was growing up. It's like a weird side note on this topic. I was looking at something the other day that we like us growing up within like a, I don't know. I think it's like a six year span mm. in those nineties years that were the last generation of people growing up without like the the internet age yeah we still remember like playing outside and not being on the internet yeah it's very weird the sticks we'd play with sticks and they'd be swords like that's yep. the level of like it's almost like caveman status to what we are now <laughs> like really i mean honestly like you have you have toddlers that are like better with ipads than i am yeah and it's just like holy holy crap dude like what like this is insane and uh, you know, it's not, I wouldn't consider it a bad thing. Um, it can be if you use it for overstimulation. I mean, we could talk about that topic for two hours in itself. Um, right. you know, the, the negative side effects of social media and what it's kind of done to the culture, but that's just something that I don't even want to get into. It's uh, completely different topic. Yeah. That's <laughs> just, I mean, and it's, it's defining for a lot of people in the new age, but for us, like coming into it, um, I think. I think I had a MySpace in like sixth grade. So that's, 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 that was like my first social media platform. So that was pre Facebook. And like, I remember the top five friends that you had on your, your profile. It was so important that, that defined who your friends were in, in high school or, oh, yeah. in, you know, middle school. Like if you weren't in the top five, that's, <laughs> that's game changer. Like you're in trouble. Your friend oh, yeah. doesn't like you anymore. And I remember friendships, like dissolving because of that but that's just like that's just how it was and you know well obviously um you see platforms trying to change that mentality of like oh we're we're no longer gonna show like that particular thing and we're gonna take away from like you know instagram hiding likes if you want to hide likes and stuff like that but you know that's just stuff that i'm just not gonna get into because i have a pretty strong opinion on it uh, I yeah. think you do as well. Yeah. And um, <laughs> let's just uh, let's just say that it's really close to being deleted and never used again just because yeah. I just want to disconnect. But um, I will say that it is a good thing for, you know, the older generation uh, of the fraternity to connect and, and obviously like family and maybe some friends that you don't really particularly see often, like if they live out of state or whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, uh, social media is just not a good thing. It's just not. Nope. And that's all I'm going to say about <laughs> For it. For personal, personal things, I guess. Um, but, like, I guess for business type of things, it's, it's good because you're getting your presence out there. Yeah. For yeah. small people, right? You're creating your content. Yeah. people like me promotion things yeah. like that but yeah personally no nah, i'm good i'm good <laughs> on that yeah and that's and that was the thing like you know uh, finding out that cameron wanted to do this you know podcast and and he wanted to actually turn it into something that was continuous and that he would do for a long time um you know listening to the pilot and listening to a couple of the other episodes like i was like hey man i just reached out to him like can I jump on board? Like, I want to give you some content, <laughs> like it at least push you forward for the next week. And I'm all for, you know, promoting friends in, in small businesses and things like that. Like 
Um, I think that we need more of it. And I think that, you know, hopefully this turns out to a long-term project for you because I know you enjoy it. And I also enjoy being on the podcast. Like, <laughs> this is great. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that I skipped on talking about, uh, particular details um, that maybe could potentially leave for another episode down the road. <laughs> uh, stuff that, you know, I... I would dive into on more of like an individual detail level with college, like certain relationships and not necessarily anything negative, but more so on like, you know, Hey, funny story, this happened and this is why. And this was the outcome, like that sort of stuff. So nothing negative, but I wanted to keep some back just to, just to ensure like, Hey, if you ever <laughs> need another one, I got you. I've, I've thought about trying to get into doing that with people like, let's do one like this and then let's like sit down and really dive deep into like some stories and talk about things and like understand what shapes you as you and these uh, high impact stories. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, the, the kind of like the defining things for me, I just wanted to touch on and it obviously we could always go into detail, but I think, uh, the main premise is like, if you don't know me and you listen to this podcast, you can kind of get a general understanding but you, you still don't really know who I am. So right. those key details, like those small things that kind of add up to give you the whole picture, the holistic picture, uh, those are what's important. So like you can get the base overview, like, hey, you may decide you don't like me uh, just based off of this podcast, this one episode. That's but fine. Then, they probably won't even meet you. Well, that's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> but then you could listen to like, okay, well, this is the reason why this was the defining moment and here are key details that I kind of left out mm -hmm. and that may change your perspective, but you always have to be open to, to that. And if you're not, then I don't care. You're not going to hurt my feelings and I'm <laughs> sure Cameron doesn't care either. So man, I got my first piece of hate mail the other day and I literally like woke up, turned my alarm off and saw the, f that was the first thing I saw when I woke up. So it like sets the mood for the day, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of love and support on this so far and just a random person sent me the shittiest dm <laughs> what did it say i gotta know tell the, tell <laughs> i'll, I'll tell you afterwards oh man is it that bad uh it's not that bad but it's okay. it's annoying okay but like i read it and i was like am i like i i sat and i took a step back and i was like is am i gonna let this ruin my day and it's like a fucking Wednesday. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> I gotta work in like an hour. <laughs> who sends hate mail on a Wednesday? Like, who are you? Uh, and it was also a Wednesday at like two a.m. <laughs> too. So it wasn't like you're the worst. Yeah, I want you to know. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I'm like, is this gonna ruin my day? And I just hit block, and I just got up. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I mean, you can't you can't let other people define like what what deems you successful is that you feel like you've reached the level of success yeah. that you want right so like regardless if someone doesn't like what you're doing you're never going to please everybody right and there's billions of people in the world no one yeah not there's going to be a hater you, you think i give a shit <laughs> <laughs> you're one out of seven some billion people you think i give a shit yeah. hell no like, you, <laughs> think, you might hurt my feelings i might be a little upset about it but then i'm just gonna be like all right all right cool cool story yeah. bro like move on with my life <laughs> i ain't worried about it and that's the way i've looked at life like uh, you know i've i've made some poor decisions i've made bad decisions uh nothing that i regret i i would say that i've never regretted a decision but ultimately it's been you know a lesson that i've learned right um, some good lessons some bad lessons but um 
you know, if, if I upset you, you know, I'll apologize. But if I feel like I was in the right and you can't, you can't like, you know, give your opinion and, and show the reason why I was wrong in that situation, then, then we're just going to leave it at that. And I'm going to keep continuing feeling the way that I feel and you're going to keep continuing the way you feel. Um, and there's no, there's not going to be a difference. So just don't waste your energy because I definitely won't waste my energy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's crazy to think like, you know, this is relatively new venture and, um, you know, and I'm sure it won't be the only time that somebody says something negatively towards this or to an individual on the podcast. I don't think that, uh, you should definitely, definitely don't let that like change your outlook on it. I don't want you to like stop doing it because someone's like, Hey, you guys sound like a bunch of idiots. Fuck you. <laughs> like cool story, bro. Like, let's see you do it. Yeah. Let's see. Where's your platform? What are you doing? Yeah. Besides typing out a paragraph of the reason why this sucks or you hate it or this guy's an idiot. Like who cares? Yeah. Yeah. This, this isn't about me. This is about who I have here. Right. This is you telling your story. Yeah. So I don't know. Give me the hate, I guess, but don't hate on someone telling their story. It's their life. It's how they've lived it. All right. You may have a different perspective. Fuck off. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to be mean about it, like just fuck off. One thing that I would say is just eat shit and die pussy. (laughs) (laughs) That's always like the canned response of like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, you hate me. Blah, blah, blah. You don't want to see me succeed. Eat shit and die. Pussy. <laughs> like, I don't care. It's just, it's not that big of a deal to me. I'll just move on and, and continue, continue doing what I want to do with my life. Right. Um, and, and trying to find the, you know, the path that I think is going to be the most successful for the, what I want and the objectives that I want to complete in my lifetime. But, uh, <clears throat> enough about that. Let's kind of like, uh, I'm not sure how we're doing on time, but let's kind of wrap up. I've got a, one big thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, we can, we can wrap up here, but I know that we only stopped at your college life. You've, I have so much more. We can we can do another one. Absolutely. I have so much more. And we got uh, a second Taryn coming in. Oh. Second episode for Taryn coming oh no. in hot sometime. Part two. Part two. But yeah, what uh what do you want to mention? What's the big thing? So the big thing that I want to drop on the the very last minute of this podcast, and I'm I like I said, I apologize for the time. I'm sure that it's well <laughs> over two hours. But uh <clears throat> So something that recently happened to me is I went through a mental health crisis. Uh, I didn't talk about this as to anybody uh, openly. Uh, my mom knows and uh, my ex-girlfriend knows that back in June of this year, um, I contemplated committing suicide. So my grandmother passed away um, <clears throat> in May and I had some pretty large uh, life changes after that. Uh, as I said, in the beginning of the podcast, my grandmother was like a second parent to me. And, um, I kind of had a mental breakdown one night. Um, I realized that she was, you know, she was dying and there wasn't anything that anyone could do. She was placed on hospice, passed away. And then, um, I remember sitting on my couch at like two in the morning, um, couldn't sleep, was sick, you know, anxiety ridden like I was just in a really bad spot and I I didn't feel like I had anyone to reach out to because one everybody's asleep at two in the morning right and uh the 
the decision to go for a drive normally is kind of how I help calm myself down if like if I'm having issues with like anxiety or something like that. But uh, this time it didn't help. So I live in Pataskla and I kind of just got on the highway and started driving and I made it to Delaware, Ohio, which is about a 40 minute drive um, from my place, considering, you know, the roads and stuff that I took. And um, in, in the back of my head, I, I was literally driving, just bawling my eyes out, just absolutely losing everything, uh, was just lost in the moment. And like, I couldn't think of any other way to like stop the pain, stop all the bad thoughts. I mean, it just, it was, it was really crazy to me, like going through that because, you know, I struggled with anxiety and stuff growing up and it's just kind of a part of like who I am. And I never really got like, I never really thought I needed professional help or really thought that it was like, Oh, like, you know, like I didn't show it on the outside. So not a whole lot of people knew that I had issues, but, um, I wanted to talk about it here because like, if I wouldn't have stopped in the parking lot that I stopped in, um, and called the suicide hotline, I probably wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. And it's really difficult to talk about, especially on an open air like this, where anybody could listen to, uh, but I want to because it's just kind of, it kind of made me realize like people suffer in silence for so long. And then when they hit their breaking point, nobody knows until, you know, either something negative happens or eventually they talk about it. And for me, um, like I said, there's two people that knew about this. Um, it, I spent the night in the hospital, so I called the, 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 it's actually the veteran suicide hotline just because I always went through like that in the training and like, uh, that was always the number that I always knew to call, like if anything ever bad happened. So I don't know why, but I, I stopped in a parking lot. I didn't even park in a parking space. I just parked in like multiple spaces, just like long ways. I called, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, you know, like they asked, you know, am I safe? Am I a safe place? They asked me if, um, if I was contemplating committing suicide and stuff like that. I, and I told them, you know, and as hard as it was for me to admit it to a, just a random stranger on the phone, I told him, yes, I said, I am moments away from doing something that would, would cause myself harm. And, um, she, I remember the lady asking me if she wanted, um, to call the police to have them show up to, to do like a welfare check. And I kind of like, I kind of remember just being silent and just not saying anything. And then after, you know, 20, 30 seconds, I was like, yes, please because I don't know if I can be by myself any longer. Um, the only reason why it stopped me is because I was talking to someone like at that level of like, I don't even, I don't even call it sadness. I wouldn't even consider it sadness. I was so numb. I was so upset that it just like, it didn't bother me. And then when Delaware police showed up, um, it was kind of like a traffic stop, but I feel like it was for obviously for their safety. Well, you run my tag and I have a concealed carry license. Like I have, you know, for the state of Ohio, I have that. So, you know, they want to make sure that I'm not going to harm them. Uh, mental health crisis are, are a large part and reason why like bad things happen during traffic stops. Like there's been plenty of videos on the internet where, you know, veterans, non-veterans, it doesn't matter who you are. 
if you have a gun and you're contemplating committing suicide, you know, you're going to do something if you want to, um, that will, that will continue that, you know, suicide by cop or killing yourself in front of the people, um, that, that show up. So they, they got me out of the truck, um, and knowing, you know, from, from school and stuff and, and doing some of like the, uh, uh, police, like pre-training and stuff like that. Cause I wanted to be a police officer. Um, I wanted to make sure that they knew that I wasn't armed. Um, I didn't bring my gun with me. Um, so they obviously just checked real quick and they checked me and they started having just a normal conversation with me. They were asking me like, Hey, what's going on? You know, I told them, I was like, look, I was like, I'm, I was contemplating committing suicide until I stopped in this parking lot and called the suicide helpline and they called you to show up. I said this, the, like literally like I was seconds away. So I had planned on literally just driving at the time I had a truck, I had a brand new, uh, Silverado. I was just going to take my seatbelt off and drive it into the, the, uh, the bridge for the overpass that was off of route 42 in Delaware. Uh, cause they're, massive concrete beams and you know there's there's no way that like i would have survived that and that was that was what i was planning on doing and that was that was the end point that's what at least that's where i thought the end point was and um i'm thankful for the officer that um was talking to me he was a younger guy uh probably fuck probably only a few years older than me um and he started asking me questions about family. He asked me about siblings. He asked me about all these questions. And that was kind of like the moment I realized like, it's, it's not selfish. Like it's never a selfish thought to contemplate suicide because you want to stop yourself from hurting, but you also don't want to stop. You don't want other people to, to feel that same hurt. Right. So like, I understand it seem it may seem selfish because you're, you know, you're taking your life, but you have to be pushed past a point to where you actually think about it. Um, and I know that you were affected by it in, in your family. And it's a, it's a really difficult topic to talk about because one mental health, it doesn't come up very often. Um, it's more so now in the last couple of years, but before then, uh, I think it's 70% uh, people. Who, uh, so out of a hundred percent, 70% are men who commit suicide. Uh, men deal with a lot of issues when it comes to that because they well one most of us are stubborn we don't want to reach out for help because uh, it's seen as a sign of weakness and that's just kind of you know the negative limelight of how we were you know taught growing up like be a man you know don't show your feelings don't cry like you know you you always got to like kind of suffer in silence and that's what i did for so long uh, with just everything going on in my life some previous issues with traumas and th stuff like that that I, I thought that was the only way out and I'm, I'm obviously very thankful that I didn't follow through with that action. I'm glad for the police officers that showed up that day. Uh, they drove me to the hospital, uh, to Delaware's hospital up there and they checked me in. Um, basically, uh, if anyone's ever been through a mental health crisis and they went to the hospital, uh, they know that they strip you of all your clothes, you, your phone, they, they take everything from you and make you wear like safety socks and a gown and you're just laying in a bed by yourself with the door closed and they have, uh, they have like a camera in the corner to obviously make sure that you don't, you know, do anything while you're there. And, uh, like I said, it's around probably around three, three or four in the morning. Um, so nobody knew, uh, nobody knew at all that this was going on. 
and uh, something that really bothered me is the first doctor that was there for the night shift um, came in and had a conversation with me and he's like I don't think you're under the influence of any drugs or alcohol and I told him I wasn't you know this is 100% sober like there was nothing mentally changing the way that I was thinking or talking I said this is just me just really low you know low spot but the morning the first shift doctor came in and ordered a drug and toxicology screen because he thought I was lying uh, and I don't want anyone to ever feel like they have to prove themselves like okay if, if you are under the influence of something like it's understandable but for a doctor to sit there and require me to go through that after I told them, you know, not only him, but the doctor before him and the doctor before him even was like, I, th I think that you are mentally sound. Like you're not, you know, on drugs, you're not drunk, you know, it just really like that bothered me. That really bothered me. And I hope that nobody has to go through that, but I know that that's just, that's just how it is in the medical field. Like, if they can't prove that it's, um, you know, the influence of, you know, outside substances, then, then they're like, oh, okay, well, then it truly is a mental health issue. Um, <clears throat> so I wasn't really a big fan of that. That really bothered me. The nurses were never, they never questioned anything. They were super nice and helpful. Uh, but that same doctor in the discharge notes uh, basically said that, I wasn't as bad as some of the other cases in medical terms. Like that's basically how he wrote it out. And I'm like, you don't know that like, just because I don't show typical symptoms or signs, that doesn't mean that when I leave here, then I might go do something. Um, you know, and I had conversations with the nurses and the doctors who said they have to talk to you and they have to, you know, figure out what's causing the issues and, and basically kind of give you like a generalized diagnosis of like, okay, yes, today you were showing signs of, you know, depression and generalized anxiety. Um, but like that whole experience was not a good experience. I'm glad that I went um, because I don't know what would have happened if I didn't make that phone call or if that police officer didn't take me to the hospital. But um it just kind of really opened my eyes to like there needs to be some sort of reform too in the medical field. Um, and I understand that, you know, a general hospital isn't, you know, one for mental health crisis, but you should be able to at least rely to get some sort of like help, some sort of like emotional help and, and mental help and, you know, maybe some clarity. Uh, but it just seemed like, you know, yep. Are you under the, are you, are you intoxicated? No. Okay. Well, we're going to discharge you. We think you're okay now. Like you didn't run blood tests. You didn't check to see if anything else, you know, there was anything else preexisting that was affecting those thoughts. They didn't do anything. Um, and the hardest part about all of this isn't that experience. It was, you know, at eight 30 in the morning, who can we call to have, uh, to have them come pick you up? And I, I laid there and I'm like, I don't, I don't want anyone to know, like, this is not embarrassing, but it's just like one of those things where again, be a man, don't be emotional. Like my first initial response was, I, I don't know. 
and they said, okay, well, we'll give you your phone back so that way you can, you know, look through your contacts to see if there's anyone that you can call. And um, fortunately, of course, uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, ex-girlfriend now, was um, at home and she was able to come pick me up. But seeing the reaction and the response from her, because she obviously didn't know, the nurses had to tell her what happened. Um, it was kind of devastating for me because like that emotional response of, you know, she felt like she felt me, but really ultimately she, she didn't know. So I didn't tell her, I didn't show signs. Like, like they, they always say like normally like, Oh, if they show withdrawal or they show this, that's not the case all the time. Um, for me, I didn't withdraw from anything. I still tried to put on the smile. I still tried to be myself. And then at the end of the day, it was just break down and to the point where I thought that was the only option left is like, I just don't want to be around anymore. And like I said, I'm lucky that I made the, the right decision and, and made that phone call and got some help, which I haven't sought therapy afterwards, which I should. Uh, I'm just such a procrastinator when it comes to that. And that's the, that's a part of the problem is like, Hey, like I should really focus on that. And, uh, looking forward, that's something that I'm going to take very seriously. Uh, kind of coming out of a situation where it's going to be very important to make sure that I take care of myself, not only physically, uh, but emotionally and mentally as well. But that was kind of the big bomb that I wanted to drop. Um, cause like I said, not a whole lot of people see that they view me as the always joking, always laughing, always smiling person. But on the backside of that, there's always emotions that, that don't get shown. So, yeah, man, I'm so happy that you shared that story. And I'm so sad that you had to go through that. Um, I'm happy that you shared it, you know, in a recorded fashion to where people can listen to it and realize, you know, they're not alone, that it happens. It's not just you or, you know, it does happen and they're blind to it right yeah um i'm sad that you have to go through that because that it's hard to go through right yeah. like mental health is such a big thing in everyone's life right that's why i'm loud about it on social media that's yeah. the one thing i'm loud about that and posting this <laughs> yeah yeah of course <laughs> um but yeah i i'm so glad that you called um you know you can call me I would have been asleep, but you could have called me. Um, there would have been no help. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd fucking wake up and drive <laughs> up there. Don't you worry. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy that you're still here today. And I know I want you to take care of yourself. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, you know, I'm always here for you. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about that? No, man. Um, if the only thing that I will say is if you ever feel like you're going through it alone, um, it's because you make it, you make it. So, um, there'll always be somebody out there that will listen to your story and listen to what makes you upset. Um, like Kira just said, you know, I could have called him, but in the moment when you're going through it, you don't necessarily think that way. And right. I, I know I didn't, Yeah, but I don't expect you to think, Oh, I'm going to call Cameron well, right sure, now. Sure, sure. But, you know, I got to be there for you and say, you can call me. Absolutely. And I'm not just saying that to say that. I do deeply mean oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And I, I genuinely believe you as well. So, yeah. um, 
I think it's just having those conversations and they're really hard to have. Like the military was so, they were so bad about it. Cause it's just like the military just doesn't understand. Um, we had what's called, uh, at the time it was called an ACE card, which was ask care escort. So basically like, <laughs> the, the, I remember the card was like a poker card. Like it was just a regular playing card. And on the ask, it's ask if the person is feeling suicidal. And I'm like, I've never felt comfortable in a setting to be like, hey, Cameron, are you feeling suicidal? That's never come to my mind. So no. like that blew my mind that that was like the military approach to it. Um, you know, there's ways that you can have the conversation and get the answer, the response that will elicit that, you know, the, the question, the way that the question's worded, it'll, it will elicit the response if that's the way that they're feeling. Um, but sometimes people won't tell you and you can't expect them to tell you, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows and is aware, like you should, you should tell people, um, going through it alone is the absolute worst. Uh, especially if you, you don't have like an actual diagnosis, you're not actually going to therapy. You don't actually take antidepressants. Like that is the worst route to go down. Uh, because you can make the mistake of, of actually following through. And, you know, I almost made that mistake. Luckily, you know, I, for whatever reason, last minute, the decision was just make the phone call. But, um, you know, ask, ask, ask questions that will elicit the response. Um, if you, if you think an individual is, is going through something and if they don't want to talk to you still continuously follow up and it doesn't have to particularly be on that topic, but just follow up and check in on them. Uh, check in on them and, and make sure that they're okay because like, you know, we, we all have bad days. Um, some of us may have longer than bad days. Some of it be a week or a month or whatever, but, um, as long as you're there and you create that support network for somebody, I think that's what matters. I don't think that you could ever, I don't think you could ever look back and say, I failed somebody if you were there the entire time. Um, Cause ultimately like someone's going to make a decision whether you like it or not. So regardless of the outcome of the situation, like as long as you were there and you put forth the effort, never, never, never take it negatively regardless of the outcome. Um, I want to make sure that that's out there too, because that was one of my worries is like, what if I'm, what if I just failed to stop something from happening? Well, ultimately that's, that wasn't my decision. Like I tried, I, I gave them the support. You know, I, I asked them like, Hey, do you, do you want to go to the hospital? Hey, do you want to go together to get therapy? Like, you know, I've been in a situation very similar to that where it's like, you know, Hey, I, you know, I was, I was vocal about it. Hey, I think you should go to therapy. Like I, we should seek professional help because the issue that, you know, you're going through, I can't help you with, I can't, I don't have that level of knowledge to be like, Hey, you know, okay. I'm identifying this behavior as something that's causing you to be upset or, you know, causing anxiety, depression, whatever. Um, where someone that went to school for it and has that, you know, experience may, may be able to be like, Hey, I see this common factor. This is, this is what you should try to change. And here's ways that you can change for the positive. But that's really what I wanted to end off with. And, and kind of the caveat to it as well is just always try to be there, uh, especially for friends. And like I said, you may never know, like Cameron didn't know. Cameron had no idea. And this Zero is idea. six or seven months down the road that I actually, you know, talk about it with him and in this setting. Um, even though we had dinner before this, I told him, I was like, Hey, I've got a bomb. I want to drop on you during the podcast. And this is, this is that bomb. So he, 
he didn't know until this moment and yeah. there's no fault to Cameron. I mean, obviously I didn't say anything and we've talked before, um, you know, before it happened, after it's happened, like, you know, we've had conversations between each other. So mm-hmm. that's you why know. it's, it's important to kind of open up and tell people that you care about as you well. N- you never know what battle someone is facing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You never know. So always be kind. Yeah, always. And that's the way that I've approached life. And that's why I talked about it so much in the beginning is like, I'm friends with everybody and don't yeah. feel like you can't be my friend just because I dress a certain way or I look a certain way. Um, cause that's, that's never the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I always ask a question at the end and I feel like that's probably going to be the advice that you give, but what is that one piece of advice that you want to live on as you know, what Taryn said? Well, so I could be corny and be like, yeah, exactly what I just said. But I will say this, um, I would say my piece of advice is never stop yourself from doing something that you might enjoy. Um, And I'm talking particularly new experiences. So I've done that. I've stopped myself from new experiences. And, um, you know, I've kind of looked back and I'm like, shit, I should have taken that opportunity because you never know what may come of it. Um, Whether it's good or bad, it's it's either a lesson or it's you enjoying whatever that particular situation is that's that's my last piece of advice i love it love it and thank you so much for coming out and sharing just one piece of your story yes (laughs) you're coming back for another episode part two coming soon (laughs) i love it yeah thank you so much thank you so much for coming out sharing your story i really appreciate it uh i love hanging out and this was this was awesome yeah absolutely and i appreciate you having me on and um you know I i do look forward to to doing another episode with you as well Awesome. I do as well. So until next time, I'll see you. I'll see you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.